CJ Schrader, level two from Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, with me, as always, is Brian Prilliman. Say hey, Brian. Hello, I'm Brian Prilliman, level two judge from West New Smyrna. That joke is old. Also, we have just Dun- oh, just Dunks couldn't be with us this episode. We have we have Ricky Hayash. Oh, no. oh, but we got Sean- someone. Sean Canton. Oh. I was going to say uh, someone better, but that's me. We have someone awesome, though. We have the one and only from Limited Resources, the Lauxosaurus, John Laux. Rawr, it's me. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. This is Thanks great. For <laughs> Thanks for having me on JudgeCast. I am, I am so excited to have you on. I am such a huge fan of an essay concerning human nature. <laughs> I, I loved it. When uh, you helped keep Jacob, you killed him. Yeah, I've well, done many things, but so most really, recently I've I've done a lot of drafting. <laughs> Not so as exciting. What's the smoke monster really like? See, here's the thing. You're in that bottle, and the cork is keeping you in, and the cork is the island. I mean, it depends on how far and lost you've got. No spoilers. No spoilers. All right. I watched the whole thing and enjoyed the whole thing. So. Me too. Sweet. Good. We can be friends. All right, then. I don't have to leave. All right. Uh, let's Wait, so if I say that I don't like it, is the episode over? Because it's like, yeah, that's the end. John will leave, and then it's just, it's just we like the ending to the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where it's just the camera goes all wonky and the movie's over. I don't even know if I've seen the end of that movie. <laughs> I mean, it's always just kind of the movie that's on, and people just kind of watch it, and then people eventually just kind of wander away, and it's never like you sit down to watch it. At least in my experience, that's how the movie ends. Is it just kind of like a cop? A, a cop car comes up, arrests everybody. A guy walk. I, I know this is spoiler alerts. Like the cop comes over to the cameraman and is just like, "Hey, stop filming!" And then it like ends like the Blair Witch Project, only without the scary part. Hey, doesn't that movie have a, a Cavern of Souls in it? Oh. <laughs> no. What are oh. you talking about? Well, speaking of Cavern of Souls, you're thinking of Aladdin. We talk. Uh, no, I don't know, man. I don't know I was, what that thing was, was called. Like a giant there. panther head. We talked last time about a ruling from the Pro Tour about Cavern of Souls. I was there. You, I heard the ruling go down. Oh, yeah, you were at the Pro Tour. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't like sitting in, in your closet listening to you record I, the that's podcast. What I was, that's where I was like, what? Well, <laughs> you were? Not that you know. Yeah, not that I know. Shh, don't tell him where the camera's hidden. Ryan, do you need Jess here to cool you down a little? Is he like? I believe, I believe so. Yeah. Anyway, the ruling that we read last time, when we were like hot off the presses with that, you know, that email had been sent out while we were recording, but it's been reversed. So the ruling back then was if you're using Cavern of Souls and you want to use it colored mana to make your spells uncountable, you had to be very explicit about it. Or it had to be, what's the word? It had to be like mandatory? Mandatory, yeah, sure. It's, it it's, be- it's, it either, you either announced it or it had to be, like, the only way you could cast the yes. spell. Yeah. The only way you could cast the spell is the word I was looking for. Yes, that phrase was the only word. Yes. So, since then, it's actually changed. And now, if you're using Cavern of Souls on a creature of the chosen creature type, you don't have to say what you're doing at all. It is assumed to be <clears throat> uncounterable. So, if you, for some reason, want it to be counterable, you have to explicitly state that that is how it is. Dun, dun, dun. So the the rationale for this is 
in the in the email that went out on the judge list from uh, from Toby Elliott, uh, who also provided the original ruling, was there was some discussion regarding uh, uh, within R and D about cavernous souls, and. In the end, uh, so I'm going to just read it. Uh, in the end, the, the, the original designer intent of the card was that it always apply when you cast a spell with the appropriate type, whether or not you actually remember to activate it properly or not. Because of this, they've asked us to reconsider the ruling that you need to announce Cavern of Souls if you want the spell to be uh, counterable. We're sympathetic with their desires, and as I've said in previous emails, we, there's arguments to both sides. Uh, as a result, we're reversing the ruling. If a Cavern of Soul gets tapped for the appropriate creature type, the spell is uncounterable whether they say anything or not. And then we still prefer that players be clear about the game state, of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. So um, you guys have any real opinions on this? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, okay, it's awkward that we had to reverse it. But beyond that, it, you know, as long as everyone can give a consistent ruling, I, I don't really care which way it goes. Yeah, I feel like everyone did everything right where... At the tournament, the judges made the strictly by the book ruling, and then, you know, as soon as the tournament was over and everyone had some space to think about it, they made the better for the game ruling, and, you know, that works for me. Yeah. So, and, and here's, this is actually the fortuitous way that the ruling went. Like, if the ruling had been reversed the other way, like, originally we said that you don't have to announce it, and then later it came out that you did, then that would be a lot more awkward. I mean, because this way, if you think about it, if you're still announcing it, hey, you're all good. Also, judges, if you think this is going to be a problem, make the announcement during your your, your opening announcements at FNMs, you know, your your GPTs, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's 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 been some debate on the judge list uh, involving corner cases, and rulings involving EDH games and stuff like that. Uh, none of that. None of that really, really matters. So let me ask you guys a question about like I don't know degree of rules enforcement. So if the like during the period of time where the ruling was, uh, you have to announce Cavern of Souls or else it's counterable. Is that upheld at the FNM level? Like are FNM players were they expected to? announce if they were using it for a creature type and then a judge would get called at FNM and say like, oh, your spell's counterable because you didn't say anything? Or is it like looser at FNM? I think at FNM um, it was looser. I can't remember. Was that called out in the original email, Brian? No. No, but I think and that's a questionable no. Uh, but I um, think the philosophy still, and Brian, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I, I think the philosophy is, you know, FNM is supposed to be a little more friendly so you wouldn't have had to call out that you want it to be uncountered. We would just be like, hey, did you want that uncounterable or not? And uh, we just move from there. Sweet. And, and the, again, you'd still you still want you still FNM is more about education. So what you want to be is you want to you want to be careful with you. You want you want if players make an error in the rules, that's one thing. If they make a strategic error, that's something entirely different. Okay, mm-hmm. so if they if they make if at least in my mind if they make a strategic play error, okay, that is within the rules of the game, then they should be held to it. If they make a an error based on a misunderstanding of the rules, that's that's then you know we can we can work on education uh, in that regard. So the way I I would have handled it, uh, and I didn't actually have to judge an FNM in the week that this was active, was <laughs> I would announce it I would announce it up front. Uh, at the event, please, 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 please be careful. And then, and then, if you didn't announce it, then you didn't, uh, uh, then you didn't use it. <laughs> All right. 
So, so in that eponyms, there is a little, there is, there is more uh, flexibility uh, for, I'll say, deviations. So that's why CJ and I can have can have different opinions. Yeah. Uh, but at at uh, at competitive levels and professional levels, we will give the same ruling, or we should oh, give okay. the same ruling. Hopefully. So what FM yeah. is kind of up to the discretion of whoever is the judge at it's, the time. Well, we still have we still have a document called the judging at regular. Hey, we're getting into stuff for L one discussion. We are. <laughs> we are. Um, there is a document. It's a two page document called judging at regular. And it dictates uh, uh, at, a, at a very high level uh, how we are supposed to handle infractions or, or problems. Now, if I if I tap Cavern of Souls and I don't actually say, you know, we should probably talk about old rulings. I mean, this is, this isn't this isn't a, we don't want to confuse people talking about the way the card used to work. Yeah, that's true. All right, well. That's all the news we really had to talk about. I just want to make it clear, uh, even though every other show already has, that that ruling has been reversed. It's a little awkward that it got reversed, but I think people have done a good job disseminating the information. So everyone should have a good feel for it by now. Yay! Yay! Uh, you guys want to move into Crack a Pack? Crack a Pack! Crack a Pack! Woo! So, uh, sounds fantastic. That sounds like my favorite thing. Uh oh! I'm opening pack right now. I'm opening Addison Restored. I can't even wait. So what we're going to try to do here is have John Laus uh, open up a pack of Addison Restored, and we're going to go through the cards and see if we can come up with rules questions for them. Well, or which card would generate instead of which card would be the first pick? Yeah. Which card would generate the most interesting rules question? Yes, sounds great. And, oh, I do want to ask you guys what you'd first pick, just so I can yell uh, at you for being wrong. I, I have never drafted the rare set. <laughs> Whatever the rare is. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, my like drafting group fell apart, so I'm just kind of... That's where your, your internet went down? Because Magic Online. All right. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> this first one's a good one. It used to eat trappers. Now it follows us around like some kind of hound dog. Which card am I? Oh, wait, this is wrong podcast. <laughs> What is okay. that podcast? <laughs> the Flavor Text podcast. What Come is on. that? I want to listen to that one. Is that a- yeah, exactly. That would be fun. The Crack a Pack. Which one has the best Flavor Text? Ooh, I love this artist. Okay, uh, Flowering Lumber Knot. That's a good one. All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's paired with a guy. It gets to attack. What if after it attacks, I I kill the guy it's paired with? He works well with that uh that infinite reflection thing you've brought up on your show, where you uh have a bunch of like. You have you could have him paired with some other guy and then make all your creatures flowering lumber knights and then you got two five five attacking because they're both paired. Yeah, if you happen oh, to have. Oh no, one, it doesn't work because it says paired. unless it's paired with a creature with soul bond. <gasps> oh, oh no! Oh, oh no! So, it, so if you pair it with something that doesn't have soul bond, why would they do that? Oh. Why would they do that to me? Oh, well. I guess that way, if you read this out of context, you're like, unless it's paired with something, that doesn't make any sense. What's pairing? Yeah. Then it says soul bond, and then you have to go look up soul bond, and then you understand. Oh, that's weird. I never even noticed that. Sad. All right. All right. Next card. So, Unless right. you guys have more to say about flowering lumber knot. Well, it's an attack. It's an it's an attacking or blocking restriction, which is determined. Uh, next card. No, we're not going. Next card. That. We're not going to do that. That'll be a whole show. All right. Malicious intent. It's the enchant creature, and the enchanted creature has tap. Target creature can't block this turn. Well, they usually don't do instant speed blocking because you block, and then they're like, oh, well, that guy can't block this turn. But it's already been blocked, and a lot of like new players don't understand that that doesn't like undo the blocking. Yeah, yeah, 
You could go with – It gives the ability to the creature. Yes, exactly. That's where I was going. So if you put it – if you enchant it on a green creature, you can still tap down a your Avacyn Restored Core Firewalker. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Elgod Shieldmate. The Soulbond guy that gives hexproof to both creatures. We talked about this a lot on the show. And yeah. The correct, we talked with Joe Bono about the correct timing of – I don't know if you guys know Joe Bono. He's our stand-in judge when we need one. Yeah. And, uh, he, uh, yeah, we talked about the correct time. They cast Elgod Shield Mate, and when is your window to kill something before it gets hexproof? And do you know what they're going to pair it with before you have to make that choice? Right. And that can get in deep because I know he talked about it forever. So <laughs> Yeah, we did. Uh, we already had our show on Soul Bond, so hopefully we don't have to cover that again. Sweet. So, yeah, you kill it before they make the choice, but while it's still on the stack. Yes. While the soul bond trigger is on the stack. All right, righteous blow. That's pretty straightforward. Although yeah, I guess you could say that uh, I do this a lot, where you uh, you righteous blow after combat damage has been dealt, because the creature is still considered attacking or blocking. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So yeah. even if, like, let's see, oh, what was it? Yeah. So if if my blocker, if I block your attacker, and in combat damage your attacker dies, my guy's still considered blocking, even though the creature it's blocking is gone, right? Yeah. Yes. So. Like, if I block something and you, you unsummon the attacker, my guy's still, until end of combat, considered blocking. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, Scroll of Avacyn. Sacrifice that you draw a card. If you draw an angel, you gain five life. Here's a question. So, okay. uh, if I sack a Scroll of Avacyn and they kill my angel in response, obviously I don't uh, gain the five life because I don't have an angel when this resolves. What if somehow, through, like, Myconstilf Lattice and other things, the <laughs> Scroll of Avacyn is my angel? It's, All right. It's still so, okay. It's gone. Machines, that's the one. When you it. when you pay the cost, you're paying the cost when you're activating the ability. So when it goes to resolve, your uh, scroll of Avacyn Angel is not there. So it's 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 basically the same thing as you activate. You know, you activate and sack scroll of Avacyn, and they kill your only angel. Either way, your angel's dead and gone. So it's it doesn't fall under like last known information type stuff. Like no, it looks to see it looks when I'm resolving is there an angel yep and no there if if it's just a boolean true false sweet all right wandering wolf so is there is there a way to make the scroll of Avacyn an angel in uh in Avacyn restored oh god I don't think there's any way to make an artifact into a creature yeah I don't think so either what was the last one that did that there so I know a way to get a uh, plus one plus one counter onto a uh, sword. That happens a lot in uh, standard, apparently. Not a lot, but enough to matter. So in standard, you can get a plus one plus one counter on your uh, Sword of War and Peace or Sword of Peace and Famine uh, and other things, but those are the most relevant. You can get a plus one plus one counter on your swords. Uh, Tezzeret? Not Tezzeret, although Tezzeret's one way, yeah. but he's not played a lot. So yeah. you could Tezzeret your thing and then put like a Timberland Guide counter on it. But uh, there is a common way in standard... What if I told you it involves a uh, Frexian metamorph? Oh, giving it like undying or something like that. Yes. Copying a creature uh, with undying. So apparently, in standard, people are metamorphing things with undying, and then when it comes back, they'll copy a sword, and it it happens to have a plus one plus one counter on. That's totally irrelevant. That's, that's I hadn't that's thought of that. Funny. <laughs> I just learned that yesterday from Zanebag, if you guys know the name. Well, I was I was for some reason I was I was going the wrong way. I was thinking phantasmal image. But then I couldn't figure out. I was like, okay, phantasmal image, something with dying, and then when it comes back, it's gotta 
be copying an animated sword? How do you oh, animate yeah. a sword? Hmm. Very close. Wrong, really good blue clone. <laughs> All right, Wandering Wolf. He's got some text on him. Creature with a power less than Wandering Wolf can't block it. Or Wandering Wolf's power can't block it. So you could um, block it, you know, with your 3-3. Three, three. It's a 2-1. You could block it with your 3-3. Three, three, and then if you giant growth it, it still remains blocked. But More blocking restrictions. Yeah, that kind of just goes back to the old thing. <laughs> Once something's blocked, it's blocked forever. Yeah, so if you if you switch its power and toughness, then it, it can't be blocked uh, except by a 1 or greater. It'd be a 1-2, and that still matters. It's, still, it's looking at 1 now. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, leap of Faith. Game, target creature can fly until end of turn, prevent all damage that we dealt to that creature this turn. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. You've got to cast this before blockers if you want to block a flyer, I guess. <laughs> yes, because once it's blocked, it's blocked. <laughs> yeah, a lot of blocking going on. Uh, Somberwall Vigilante. He deals, uh, or sorry, oh God, Ryan Spain gets on me all the time about pronunciation. Apparently I say vigilante like I say French words or something. So. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you won't care? I won't no, care. We, we don't care. Don't tell Ryan, okay? As long as, as long as I can type it real quick into gatherer, you know, based on your pronunciation. Yeah. So yeah. A, it's a secret. We don't all know all cards. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> We gotta look. Okay, Summerwall Vigilante. Ah, the fop. Got it. Yeah, you can hear us both typing every time you say a card. Like we're both just <laughs> yeah. tapping away. But anyway, this guy. Apparently, says, you guys don't draft a set as much as I do. That's what I said. I haven't drafted yet, and I really want to. But yeah, he's pretty simple though. He just deals one damage to a creature uh, that's blocking him whenever he becomes blocked. Um, now, now, okay. So this is different. Um, Different, little, slightly different wording. So he says, whenever Somberwald Vigilante becomes blocked by a creature, Somberwald Vigilante deals one damage to that creature. Okay, I guess if if the the wording is so, if he's the wording is set up in such a way that if he's blocked by multiple creatures, then he's going to trigger multiple times. Uh, if yep. he just said, whenever Somberwald Vigilante becomes blocked, Somberwald uh, Vigilante Vigilante deals one damage to something. Uh, to a blocking creature, yeah, creature blocking. Yeah, it would only it would only trigger the one time. It would have to say to each creature blocking it, and then that wording's awkward. Like, uh, what was the the equipment from Mirrodin that was like Inquisitor's lens or something like that? What was it? Not Inquisitors. Inquisitors are all in oh, Amstrad. infiltration lens. Infiltration lens. The first time I played against that card, I did not know that they drew a card, two cards for each blocker. Yeah. So like they attack with some random guy. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll triple block and kill this guy. He'll drop two, whatever. And he drew six cards. Yeah. Not. Cool. Whoa. I learned my lesson. All right, Essence Harvest is next. So uh, two and a black target player loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So uh, if you don't control any creatures, that's zero. That's and if sad. they kill your creature in response, it's zero. Yeah, it's zero. There's no last known information, anything like that for this card. It's just whatever that is when it's resolving. Resolving. Yep. Yeah. Driver of the Dead. Uh, when Driver of the Dead dies, return to our creature card with convert a mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. I feel like you guys always open a Driver of the Dead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun card that we never get to first pick. Yeah. It's really sad. And uh, and converted mana cost only cares about the numbers in the top corner. Yeah, Now I would say one thing that's important here is it does target the creature card, so you have to decide that target when it goes on the stack. Uh, so they could... I don't know if there's any cards that do it. Oh, there's that uh, Crypt Creeper. They can exile the card you're targeting. Like, they know what you're going to bring back. 
Or uh, similarly, if you've got like two drivers of the dead dying at the same time, uh-huh. and they both target a crypt creeper, you can't like bring the crypt creeper back, sacrifice it, and then right. bring it back with the second one because they're both targeting it at the same time. Yeah. It becomes a new crypt creeper once it hits the graveyard. Yeah. So. Oh man. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I'll leave the best three for last. Good, because I haven't kept too good of track of all the other cards, so I was, I was really hoping the uncommons and rares would ba- bail us out here. Yeah, this one's not bad. It's basically Essence Harvest, but blue. It's Mass Appeal, so you draw a card for each human you control. Just checks human count on resolution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're... It, it does count Scroll of Abyssin if you somehow make it into a human. doesn't have to be a human sure, creature. Sure, you're right. Yeah. It, it does say each human. And your... All your Abyssin Restored Changelings... Yes. Yeah. All right. So what you're telling me is Abyssin Restored rules questions uh, are not as abundant. Well, they you, you guys even said this in your in your podcast. They spent a lot of complexity on Soul Bond. So the other cards tend to be a little simpler, it feels like. Yeah, that's true. What was the other mechanic in the set, though, that they spent some complexity points on? Miracle. Miracle. Indeed. Miracle. Like Banishing Stroke. So that is a five and a white instant miracle. You can miracle it for a white, and you put target artifact, creature, or enchantment on the bottom of its owner's library. There's nothing funky about going to the bottom. No, and then we can get into miracle, but we've talked about that. Sure, you guys have talked. We're we're hoping we're hoping this we're hoping that there's going to be that uh, that crazy clone infinite reflection card. Infinite reflection card. Oh. Yeah, uh, not today. Yeah. No. Spoiler alert. So the, Spoiler. the other uncommon is Thunderous Wrath, which is the banishing stroke that deals five damage to a creature or player and is red. So that's basically the same. Yeah. And then Reforge the Soul is the rare. Another miracle. But each player discards his or her hand and draws seven cards. Uh, what if both of us have less than seven cards in our deck? At the same time? At the same time. Uh, I like that, but that's going to be a draw. That is... <laughs> you get to draw! Yay! Yay. Yes, it's because so of the state-based a, action. A you get a Time What's that? Hmm? What was that action? Do you play best of four at this point? You uh, play until a player wins two games. Yeah. It, so right. if you are if you are 1-1 one, one and you play this with, with you know, 20 minutes left and you both and you both lose uh, or you, uh, you both draw your last card and at the the game's a draw well you're shuffling up and playing game four we Wait. actually had this was I had um, I was uh, head judge for Star City Orlando Legacy Open we actually had an appeal on that situation where we had in game three we had two players we had a, a player's draw one of the players was like, okay, I guess we're going on to game four. And the other player was like, nah, we're done. <laughs> and, and, you know, the player called a judge and the judge was like, yep, this is the way it works. And the, and the one player was like, I'd like to appeal that. Oh. And I, and it was just kind of like, I just come over and I'm like, so, hey guys, what seems to be the problem? And it's like, I want to play another game. <laughs> like, you don't have to if you don't want to. You can, Scoop, but you need to play another game if your opponent wants to. Oh, well. Yeah, it's a common misconception that you only play three games. You're just playing until someone wins two games. All right. So are players allowed to just at will decide to draw a game? Just like in the middle of the game, they're like, oh, we're just going to draw this one and move on to another game? Yeah. Yes. 
because what I've heard before, and it sounded sketchy when I heard it, because the guy that I heard that I saw doing it was kind of sketchy. sketchy. <laughs> but we're at a PTQ, and like uh, they both mulligan down to six, and the guy's like, "You want to just go up to seven? And his opponent's like, "Okay." And a judge is walking by, and the judge is like, "Wait a second, what's going on here?" And then Jed, uh, whoa, <laughs> this guy is like, "Well, uh, we." Uh, <laughs> Uh, we he's like, well, we can just both draw game one and then move on to game two, and so game one's a draw. And then now, uh, you know, we both start by drawing up to seven, and they're just like, yep, that sounds fine. So it's uh, it's so that's totally legal. It's fine when it's clear that that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I had never even heard that before. And then now I'm like, wow, should I be doing that now that that's legal? Like strategically, I don't actually know the answer. I should ask Marshall. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I think if you think you're better than your opponent, you should. And if you're on the well, no. If you're on the draw, I might want to go to six to his six. But if, if I'm, the, I'm on the play and I'm better than him, I'd probably <laughs> offer it anyway. Yeah, I wonder about that. You're too. asking all this strategy stuff, man. You got to understand, we're judges. We we're don't judges. know. <laughs> we're, we, we're bad at this game. <laughs> okay, that's why we do this. All right, so that's the pack. Um, I know what I'm picking as far as the best card in limited. But uh, what are you picking as far as the best card in Judge Land for? Rules or just picking? Uh, what's your rules pick first? Uh, they're all pretty terrible. Can we just take the Soul Bond one and <laughs> call it a day? Yeah, it's probably I, a Soul Bond one or a miracle. Infiltration one. Lens. We talked about it. That yeah. Counts. Yeah, okay. Infiltration Lens. We're going to take Infiltration Lens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But in Limited and you're drafting to win, do you take Thunderous Wrath or Banishing Stroke or Righteous Blow? Or you could make an argument for Wandering Wolf? And you could make an argument for Driver of the Dead if you wanted to be the only black player. And the best blue card is Elgod Shieldmate, but I don't think you can first pick that here. No. So. Uh, it's, for me, it's easily it's down to Banishing Stroke or Thunderous Wrath. And I don't know. Let's go th- Thunderous Wrath. <laughs> it can go to the face, so that's something. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to say Thunderous Wrath also. I agree. Three for oh. Nice. oh. Well, you know, it's like, well, this card, I really feel that it's a it's a solid B minus. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I think I don't Thunder, know. Thunder's Wrath is B plus. You want you it? You think it's B plus? Yeah, you're gonna play Thunder's Wrath. Hundred percent. I mean, I really, I like, I'm picking it because it's it's the best card in the pack. But I'm not really. I mean, do I have a really strong red plan going into this uh, going into this draft? I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> that was good. Was it? It's like when I try to pretend to talk about poker to Marshall. <laughs> he just oh. pats me on the head and he's like, "Yep, you're right. Untap for you one time." <laughs> Sweet. I, I love those guys. Though you'll argue for like 20 minutes, but you're basically saying the same things. <laughs> yeah, we like to, to argue. I don't know. This this one card is like Gristlebrand costs you know four black 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 black. That's so hard. Oh, this guy costs three green 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 green. Oh, that's totally doable. It's like wait a second. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I feel judged. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I want more things to argue about on this show, but usually think... if someone's wrong, they're just wrong. <laughs> it's not a, the rules any... should have a right answer, right? I most of the time they do. Wait, all men are liable to error, and most men are, in many points, by passion or interest, under temptation to it. John Locke. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Wow, that was actually a smooth uh, transition there. 
I didn't realize you had access to my essays I wrote in high school. <laughs> good one. Fortitude is the guard and the support of other virtues. Is that it? <laughs> I, I have I have apparently I have thirty pages more to go. Oh, let's move on then. <laughs> so you have to like look up all these Abbas and restored cards in the gatherer, but you're pulling out these John Locke quotes <laughs> like they're candy. Yep. Fashion for the most part is nothing but the ostentation of the riches. Okay. That's why I'm always so well dressed. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so the meat of the conversation. Yes. The meat uh, of the... So, John, the reason we have you on is not to make John Locke quotes or make lost references, or even to do the crackaback, although that was fun. Uh, <laughs> the reason we had you on is because you know both Brian and I have listened uh, to limited resources for a long time, and and I've always noticed that while on the show, you're you're really nailing some of these uh, more difficult questions. And to be 100 percent honest, when you even said that um, infinite reflection thing with the uh, two paired creatures, and then you put the infinite reflection on just some bear, I was like, no, that's not even. There's no way that could be right. I'd open up my email. I'm like, I'm going to correct these guys. Blah blah blah. But nope. That was right. I had to go double check the rules for that one. Sweet, I did it. You did it. <laughs> Add Joe there too. He helped. Yeah. So that one was pretty. That one's pretty crazy to me. I'm surprised nothing gets rid of the pair. But anyway, we had some soul bond problems during the review, where I uh, I put too much emphasis on the reminder text. Yeah. So I assumed that oh well, looking at the reminder text, I could pair with my opponent's creature. But uh, reminder text isn't always 100% right, and there was also some wording about you know you have to control both of them or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, you can't always trust reminder text, and you will learn that if you start taking judge tests. But we'll get to that. The whole reason we had you on is that you seem like uh, if it's something you're interested in, you might be a good candidate as a level one judge. And we wanted to go through all the steps or what we normally do when we have somebody off the street and uh, they look like you know they might want to be a judge. In particular, uh, you know, I first brought this up to you after you had qualified for Barcelona. And, and the reasoning there was, you know, once you qualify for a Pro Tour, there's no – you can't play in the PTQs anymore. That's right, right? You, like, cannot play in them. Uh, I believe that's true. It might depend on the mode of your qualification. Uh, yeah. Whew. My rules knowledge of the pro player system these days is very lacking because it's pretty confusing. Fortunately, mine is too. Do you know, Brian? I believe the answer is you cannot. I believe you can't play in qualified. However, I, I would have to check I would have to check the Premier Player Invitation policy on wizards.com/wpn. Are you doing that? Um maybe. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to keep talking. All right, you do that. You want another John Lock quote while you wait? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Later. So So the interesting thing there is, you know, you can't play in PTQs anymore. What are you going to do until the pro tour comes around and and for some people being a judge might be you know a great thing to do when you're um when you're a judge you kind of get get a, a new insight into the rules we always joke about how judges are bad at magic but it's not actually that true uh just some of us are bad at magic yeah yeah not yeah, true not true but you get a, you get a new insight into the into the game and you know that can help you uh as a player as well but you know and you still get to go to these events, and you get to hang out, you get to watch people play Magic. You will generally take home some form of compensation. You know, if I went and played at a PTQ, I'm not taking home anything uh, except my tears. But when I go judge a PTQ, I'm coming home with some form of compensation, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So we thought it'd be cool to have you on and talk about becoming a judge. 
Sweet. Are you? I'm interested in becoming a judge. Yes. So whenever uh, someone first comes up to me while Brian is still looking that up. Nope. Got it. All right. Nope. You can't play at all? <laughs> play, well, the players that have won a Pro Tour qualifier that awards an invitation to Pro Tour X may not compete in further Pro Tour qualifiers that award invitations to the Pro Tour X. Yeah. And that is how I qualified, was through a PTQ that awarded Pro Tour X. Pro Tour X. Pro Tour Everson Restored. So whenever some guy first comes up to me, he's like, <laughs> I want to be a judge. And I'm like, who are you? Uh, the first oh, thing I... Oh, John Lux. Oh, I'm first, sorry. I've first thing he does is after he says, get away from me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who are you? Let me give you to another judge to handle this. I uh, lost track of who I was. Am I still John Larks? <laughs> no, you're John Locke. Ah, oh, right. Philosopher. Two sides. One is light, one is dark. All mankind being all equal and independent. No, okay. Is this something you've had to deal with your whole life, or do most people realize that your last name's not even the same as Locke, and they don't bother? Uh, most people would bring up uh most people don't notice but those that do will will call me john Locke. but uh then i say no sadly i'm not john Locke. i'm john laux and then they kind of lose interest no oh, well brian hasn't lost interest nope if it's funny one time it's funny every time that's i hear you true am uh, i allowed to say that's what she said on this show yeah Mark, absolutely that's fine. Well, you can say whatever you want. I mean, we're, Marshall. you know, we're a little bit more professional than Monday Night Magic, but we're less professional than Limited Resources. So somewhere in the middle there, uh, you can say that's what she said. I should have brought more poop jokes. Oh, we can have just poop joke segment later. Okay. So, <laughs> matter of fact, we're going to edit some in if you don't say any. Yeah, we can do that. All right. We'll just, All right. We'll take. Oh, we are wasting so much time. We will take pieces of what he said and then splice them together into a poop joke. Actually, oh. I would support that. <laughs> All right. So somebody comes to me. They want to be a judge. First thing I usually do is throw some rules questions at them, just to see kind of where they're at. See, you know, I'm never going to be like, "Hey, you can't be a judge because you're getting these rules questions wrong." But I, I like to just get a general idea of where they are because you need a pretty good rules knowledge to become a level one judge everything else can kind of be learned but you're uh you know because you also have to know the judging a regular document and you have to know a little bit of some other documents but the rules knowledge is the stuff that is kind of the majority of the test all right so i was going to run through a few of my stock level one questions with you and then i think brian has a few also sure sure whatever so my first one is i have a rune claw bear a good old rune claw bear and I cast Giant Growth on it. After that all resolves, I cast Diminish on it. And what is its power and toughness in the end? In the end, it is a... Drumroll... 4-4. Four, 4-4. Four. Four, four. What? No, Diminish says it's a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, Diminish says it's a 1-1. One, one. Clearly. Yeah, but these days, Diminish basically just changes what's written in the lower right, oh. and the Giant Growth's on its own layer or something. Layers are kind of nebulous, but I roughly get them. Yeah. Well, you must, because... <laughs> Because you were at least able to say the word layers. A lot of times people don't even know that much. Um, Layers and bears. Layers and bears. Layers and bears. There we go. Uh, My next question is... is Well, hold on. So it is is a 4-4, just um, because the the power and toughness, you you handle power and things that set power and toughness before you handle things that modify. So the setting effect of diminish sets to a 1-1. And then the power and toughness modification uh, of the giant growth uh, gives it the plus three, plus three, making it a four, four. Yeah. And All usually, right. I have a question for you. Well, yeah, go on. 
Oh, I was going to say, usually when I describe that, I describe it the exact same way that John just did, because I don't want to get into layers, so I usually just say, just pretend like it changes the numbers in the bottom right, and that's it. Oh, all right, so my question, and because I'm asking you this because I've never known the answer to this question. So uh, I've got a, let's say I've got a uh, Rune Claw Bear, mm-hmm. and um, its power and toughness gets switched with, like, a twisted image. Okay. Um, so it's still a 2-2, but its power and toughness is backwards. Um, and then someone casts uh, Reach of Spiders, is that what that's called? Plus 2, plus 4, Grasp of Spiders? Okay. Uh, yeah. Where it gets plus 2, plus 4. I don't know where the 2 goes, and I don't know where the 4 goes. I don't know if my Rune Claw Bear is a 6-4 or a 4-6. So so this is this is actually one of the, the funny ha-has uh, in, in Magic. Um, there used to be some cards way, way back in the dark pre-6th edition era that would talk about switching uh, cards' power and toughness. And then it would say weird things like, all other cards cast on it this turn that affect its power really affects toughness and vice versa. So well, that's just confusing. <laughs> well, yeah. So in order to maintain those cards' functionality in working as they intended, they actually made the power and toughness switching happen dead last in the layers. So regardless of where, like, so if I have a if I have a one one and I cast uh, something that switches its power and toughness. Sure, whatever, it's still a 1-1. One, one. And then I cast something that gives it uh, a plus 2, plus 4. So when you run through the layers, you've got a 1-1, one, one. it gets plus 2, plus 4, so it becomes a 3-5. And then when you get all the way down at the very bottom, you say, do I have any effects that switch its power and toughness? I do? Great. 5-3. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, today... Dead last. Dead last. Yep. Sweet. Drop a knowledge bomb, and that is and that is simply for things like, I think the card's like dwarven thaumaturgist. <laughs> I'm gonna look that up. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Thauma, yeah. Switch power. So I'm printed on the card. Switch power and toughness of target creature until end of turn. Effects that alter the creature's power alters its toughness instead, and vice versa until end of turn. Wow. So in yeah. order to make stuff like that work, they had to make it last. That's what she said. <laughs> that. Yes. Oh. Hey, so hey. what if I had a Tarmogoyf and in my graveyard is a, uh, let's say a sorcery and also an artifact. So my Tarmogoyf right now is a 2-3 and I have a lightning bolt targeting Tarmogoyf. Can you tell me what's going to happen here after everything resolves? Uh, I can tell you one of those players are going to be very sad. Yeah. Um, because the Tarmogoyf uh, will... The, the lightning bolt resolves, the three damage is dealt, but uh, by the time that the game checks to see if the damage is lethal, the Tarmogoyf, the, the lightning bolt's in the graveyard for the Tarmogoyf's a 3-4. And so then when your opponent also plays a Mog Fanatic, and then they're like, okay, well, I'll finish it off with a Mog Fanatic, <laughs> the same thing happens, uh, except that the Mog Fanatic's even in the graveyard before the one damage resolves, and now the Tarmogoyf is a 4-5, or uh, a got a three four no four five uh, four five now with four damage on it and so it still lives this this i know this because zame has told me a story of his opponent throwing like a mog fanatic and a lightning bolt and then he played like a tormod's crypt and exiled the graveyard but it added an artifact and so then he eventually had to like use a, like a volcanic hammer on it or something it's like a four for one to kill this time just didn't he just never got this rule like he just couldn't get it in his head That's poor guy sad yeah but yeah obviously you got it 100% right. Do you know what kind of ability Tarmogoyf has? Like, 
it has a specific name. Is it static or is there a better one? Well, it is a static oh, is ability. Unstatic. Yes. It's what like is... a because uh, it matters in the library too. Yeah. Or yes. even if it's outside the game. Outside the game, like if I had a living wish that living wished for certain powers mm-hmm. of creature, then it would matter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And that that El- Eldrazi that uh like goes and gets El- uh what is it the Eldrazi that goes and gets Eldrazi from outside the game. Mm-hmm. All your changeling, it's, uh, that's also an ability that functions outside the game. So all your changelings in your binder, well, your, si- your sideboard. Yeah. So, sideboard. We'll say sideboard because so, you're a tournament guy. Yeah. Yeah. So when Tarmogoyf is in my pack, he has a power and toughness. <laughs> yeah, even. he does. It hasn't been opened yet. Yeah. It's like we don't even know if there's a Tarmogoyf in there, but if there is, we know his power and toughness. Schrodinger's Tarmogoyf. <laughs> yeah, Schrodinger's Tarmogoyf. <laughs> Schrodinger's Tarmogoyf. <laughs> Because unless we booster tutor, then it has power and toughness at that time. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> How do we go enlighten you? <laughs> I so Schrodinger's Tarmogoyf makes me so happy. Yeah, that's great. I like the I like that way as as explaining this rule. That okay. <laughs> that kind of ability is called a, a characteristic defining ability because it <laughs> defines a characteristic of the card. So. Uh, whenever you Do see, they have a certain like marker. Like, is there a way to tell its characteristic? Well, def- one easy one is asterisk. Asterisk in the power and toughness field means there's a characteristic defining ability in there somewhere. Yeah. So <laughs> characteristic defining abilities only only affect three, really three characteristics. It affects uh, power and toughness. So yeah, like star star is probably the. Uh, you look in the corner, you see a star star. Things that affect its type, so like changeling is a characteristic defining ability because it is defining the characteristics of the card. And then like the old color, indi- the things that were replaced by color indicator like uh, trans guild courier is all colors because mm-hmm. it, it is an ability that is defining a characteristic. It's not dependent on anything else. It doesn't affect any other cards or anything like that. Like if... Um, What's the, uh, what's the, can't remember the, uh, it's like the 4-4 four, or four, the 5-5 five, five flying from Shadowmoor that makes all other creatures 1-1s? One, uh, Godhead of Awe. Godhead of all. Like, that's not a characteristic defining ability because it's affecting other creatures. All right. But if for some reason it didn't have a, if it didn't have power and toughness printed in the corner and just had an ability that said, you know, Godhead of Awe's power and toughness is 1-1, one, one, well, that would be a characteristic defining ability. Yeah, that would be weird, but yeah. You normally see it as its power and toughness is equal to the number of X in play or zombies in your graveyard or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And, and those uh, and those uh, are defined in all zones. That's what we were getting at with Schrodinger's Tarmogoyf. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask a, a two parter. Okay. Okay. So so John, I have out a bear cub, not a grizzly bear. I have out a bear cub. What are you doing? Because <laughs> uh, it's cuter than a grizzly bear. Oh, look at that! It is. Oh, every little cub has its mother's teeth to guard it. It's an elvish saying. It is. It's. It's got a little bee landing on its nose. Are you sure John Locke didn't say that? I'm pretty sure I heard him say that. <laughs> it's a. It's a. It's a quote from his uh, second treatise. All right. So I have a. I have out a bear cub, and for some reason. I decide I'm going to cast uh, uh, Overrun, okay? Okay. And then I look at my hand, and I'm like, oh, crap, Raging Goblin. And I cast my Raging Goblin, okay? Does that Raging Goblin get the plus three, plus three in Trample from the Overrun? No, I'm sorry, it does not. 
the overrun gives it to all the creatures you have that are creatures now, and then uh, yeah, not to anything that becomes a creature or enters the battlefield as a creature later. Okay, so now let me ask. I now have uh, I, I so I have my I have my grizzly bear, and you think that I'm going to attack you, so you cast intimidation bolt. Uh, intimidation bolt uh, targeting the grizzly bears. Intimidation bolt says deals three damage to target creature. Uh, my grizzly, my, oh, sorry, my bear cub. Oh. Other <laughs> creatures can't attack this turn. Okay. Hmm. So you hit, so you you hit my bear cub with the intimidation bolt, and I'm like, well, slam down my raging goblin. So can I, can I attack with my raging goblin? Okay, so my gut says that you can't, but I'm trying to figure out why. What's the difference between all your creatures get plus three plus three, not affecting it, and all your other creatures can't attack affecting it? And I can't think of the difference. It's a sneaky question, Brian. I've never heard of this one. All creatures can't attack. It's not that I'm skipping my attack step, but I just my other creatures, when I go to attack with them, say can't attack. Yeah, that my answer is that it can't attack, but I couldn't tell you why. Okay. Well, you're 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 correct. Um, the, the reason is, is basically, um, when, when a card, this, this card intimidation bolt is, is setting up an effect that is, if you want to, if you want to say that it's setting up a game or modifying a game rule, okay, creatures can attack. And that applies to all creatures, regardless of where we, you know, if they come in before or after the reason overrun and you actually answered this really well. Uh, cards that affect the control or characteristics of creatures only apply to those creatures that are on the battlefield at that time. So that's that's why Overrun only applies to a certain to those creatures that are on play, whereas the Intimidation's Bolt is just kind of lays down this blanket effect. Okay. Does that so make if sense? Intimidation, yeah, that makes sense. So if Intimidation Bolt said all creatures gain defender until end of turn then you could play your Raging Goblin afterwards. And swing uh, with it. Yeah, because it wouldn't have Defender from the Intimidation Bolt. Yep. All right. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. I, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask questions, and this is, this, is, this is just my style. I'll ask questions to just see how you defend your answer. You know, whereas, you know, obviously I'd like you to get it right, but if you get it wrong, you know, that's, a, that's actually a... Um, a way of knowing areas that people uh, that people need to work on. You know, getting things wrong isn't uh, isn't anything to be ashamed of. Isn't necessarily anything bad. You know, because you you have to poke and prod at areas to find out where to where to work on. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> laughing every time. Hey, for that that's what she said joke. Uh, I just came up with this one. I have the Tarmogoyf. He's a two three, and I cast diminish on him. I believe he's a one one because. Its power and toughness becomes a one-one instead of equal to instead of equal to. Uh, it's like the card says it's a two-two if it's a grizzly bear, and diminish says no, it's a one-one. And Tarmogoyf says its power and toughness is equal to blah blah blah, and diminish says no, it's a one-one. Oh, that's a really good answer. <laughs> that's really good because yeah, we we kind of lied to you a little bit, but you we said you apply power and toughness setting effects first. That's not actually true. You well, apply. I said it before. For modifying, first. <laughs> I say first. All right, whatever. You apply characteristic defining abilities first. That's the very first thing you apply, and in, in the power and toughness layer, and then from there you go on to set, you know, setting and 
the other ones that end in <laughs> switching. Sweet. Yeah, good. All so, right. I, I actually want to jump off of rules for just a second. Okay. Right, I've got rules okay. questions for you guys, but those can wait till later. Ooh, sure. So, um, do you do you play F and M's and and those kind of, and you know I I know that you play in you know like pro tours or whatever, <laughs> but uh, uh, do you, do you play at F and M's like some sort of Wednesday night casual drafts that kind of thing like that at uh, at your local store or are you strictly an online guy? It goes through phases. It depends on. Like where I'm at, like uh, when City Champs started, I was playing at like the store level, basically like five or six times a week. Um, and then like I've never gone back to that level of store magic. But, you know, there's been times where I played uh, every Friday and then lately it's been like every other month. If like there's a States and I just want to play my deck, I'll go and I'll play at the FNM. Um, or if I'm just bored on a Friday and I want to hang out with Marshall, I'll course him into letting me play FNM. So like in the past four or five months i've probably played like four fnms okay do you like are you one of the rules guys at uh at your store do they have a rules guy like who answers if players are having a problem who answers those questions usually there's some guy at the store that's there all the time and he's known for knowing the rules though secretly whenever someone's like you know jason rules question or whatever uh i'll listen to make sure that he gets it right, and then I'll speak up if if I disagree. Which so far the the rules guy at the store usually gets it right, so I don't have to say anything. But I tend to to perk up a little bit and listen. Do you know if he's a certified judge? I feel like at some of the places at Car Kingdom certainly has a certified judge. There's a a dude there that's every Friday. Uh, oh God, is his name Chris? I'd feel bad if I forgot his name. <laughs> Super nice. I'm pretty sure it's Chris. Um, but at at the place I went with Marshall. He wasn't wearing a judge shirt, but I don't. I couldn't tell you if he was a certified judge or not. Yeah, you don't. You don't get a judge shirt unless you go to a grand prix. And a lot of level ones, you know, sometimes they just like to stay in their store and they never go to grand prix or anything like that. So sometimes they don't get a judge shirt, but they can still be a judge. Yeah. So one of one of the one of the requirements. Well, uh, the reason the reason why I'm poking poking at these, uh, John, is there are actually uh, four requirements for becoming a level one. Um, one of them is, you know, passing a score on the level on the, on the certification exam. So these questions, these rules questions kind of are there to judge and gauge how, what your, what your rules knowledge is, you know, in areas that we can work on that kind of thing. But um, if I show up on, you know, if I'm on judge cast, I get to skip some of these steps, right? Like, I kind of get well, the fast lane. Well, here's actually actually one of the steps: knowledge of tournament structures and experience as a player in DCI sanctioned tournaments. So I'm thinking, you know, Barcelona should count. Probably, probably That's fine. All right. Um, there's a brief interview with and rec- uh, and written recommendation from a level two or higher judge. All right, um, Judge Joe Bono, here I come. So this is so this is this is the the purpose of uh, of that is to make sure that the best way you're not awkward. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, is is probably is probably the uh, you know I don't I don't want to like be insulting to to other other people who who maybe have have failed the I'll say failed the interview, but. Uh, that's kind of the way I see it. And then there's one other requirement: uh, has acted as a judge at a sanctioned event uh, twice in the last six months. 
All right. Um, and what this what this is this pre- this requirement at least and this is my interpretation of of what it's for is to make sure that you are putting in I'll say the the minimum effort as opposed to just like hey I want to be a judge so I can have the nice shiny name badge and have the power and be able to say I'm a judge and yet not actually do anything with it other than just say that you're a judge ah yes you know know, show show that you're 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 actually putting in or or, you know performing the the work now when you go to fnms and stuff like that you do not uh, those events are not required to have a certified judge Okay, so if you are acting in the capacity of the rules guy, okay, or maybe even the guy, you know, the guy behind the counter who's entering in the the the, the scores and stuff like that, and answering the occasional rules question, and this is this is addressed to all to all the listeners that counts. Okay, so if you are if you are putting in your 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 Putting in the 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 effort, you're the 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 rules guy at the store. You're answering questions. You're interacting with the players. Then that's that's you know a good thing. That's what we want to see. And it doesn't even have to be like I said. The the requirement is acted as a judge at a sanctioned event at least twice in the last six months. So, yeah, it's pretty easy. It's not hard. They're not asking a lot. Um, <laughs> Just basically show up to F and M and. And say here's the judge guy. Yeah, well, Brian and Brian hinted at this, but you you can still play in the <clears throat> FNM too. Like you don't even have to not play. You just yes have to be that guy. At at uh, at regular RELs, and this this was a change that they did was it about a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was while I was um, there, so. They they wanted to one one of the the issues problems that they were having was people wanted to play in FNMs. They didn't want to judge it. Well, yeah. if I judge it, then I can't play. I'd rather play. So meh. And so they were like, well, you know, what's the 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 concern is that the judge won't be you know won't be able to to separate wanting to win from wanting to give a good ruling. And then they thought about it a little more, and they're like, well, really at F and M, what what are what are the stakes we're dealing with? Yeah, you know, it, it it's not the 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 incentive or the motivation to 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 impact your uh, uh, reputation for you know three packs. It just isn't isn't where it's not good EV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're the if you're like the judge at the store and you're known for bending the rules in your favor, like that's not good for you. Yeah, that probably won't last. No, probably not very long. <laughs> All right, so CJ, back to back to more fun questions. Back to more rules questions. Well, I only have one more. But uh, let's say you have the Om- Omnath Locus of Mana, who gets a uh, plus one plus one for each green mana in your mana pool. This is my EDH question, you know. Uh, I think I may have first heard it from you many, many <laughs> years ago, and by that I mean like two years ago. So you have him, and he's a he's a five five right now because you have four green mana in your random pool. Otherwise, you're tapped out. You have momentous fall in hand, which uh, let me read it real quick. It reads as an additional cost to cast momentous fall, sacrifice a creature, and then you draw cards equal to the sacrifice creature's power. Then you gain life equal to its toughness. So you have that in hand, and uh, you're going to cast it and sacrifice Omnath. How many cards slash life do you get? Oh man! Uh, so it man. Now I wonder if it has to do with the order of announce a spell, pay cost, choose targets, all that stuff. But these are both costs: sacrificing a creature and paying the mana. 
So unless there's an even deeper layering of the order of, that you pay different costs. So my guess would be that since it's all happening around the same time, they're both costs that you're paying, that it would see itself as a 5-5. Five five. But that feels wrong, but that's what my head says. So because, And it's probably because of the way I cast spells on Magic Online. <laughs> but So... I would, my guess is that you would draw five cards and gain five life. It's draw five and gain, you draw and gain life equal to its power. Yeah. And toughness, God, that's, whatever. That's fine. That's such a good card. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, my guess is, would be five and five. So you, you said, you talked about the paying the costs. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you have to sacrifice the creature first and then pay the mana? Well, I'm saying that they're happening at the same time. Because they're both costs. Like when you when you cast a spell, you announce it and you choose targets and you pay costs. I think that's the order that those things happen. More which... things happen than that, but yes, the relative <laughs> okay. order of those three is correct. Yeah, um, except that these are both costs. It's a mana cost and an additional cost. So, yeah, I don't like. I'm trying to figure out when the power and toughness is set and. Yeah, because the creature's not in play, it goes off last known information, and I think that was set when it was a five-five. It's all kind of a guess. Yeah. Well, one other little side question. Is Omnath Locus of Mana a uh, characteristic defining ability? Uh, Omnath, I don't believe so. Let's see. For each green mana in your mana pool, well, if that's not affecting other creatures, there's no star star, but... It's it's dependent on other stuff. It's dependent on other stuff, I would say. So no. <laughs> so, so no. no. I wouldn't say it's a characteristic it's defining ability. And that was totally irrelevant to the question I was asking. I don't know why I'm getting off track. But that's that's just what you do when you're asking those questions. <laughs> yeah. So first off, I mean, the fact that you know that there's steps at all to casting a spell is a great head start over a lot of L1s I've talked to. You were very close, but the fact of the matter is when you have a bunch of costs, you can decide to pay them in any order of your choosing. Okay. So in this case, uh, you have two costs for uh, Momentous Fall. You have two green green. And you have sacrifice a creature. You can choose to sacrifice the creature first, and then draw five, and then pay the mana for um, moment does fall. So you're drawing five and gaining five in that situation. But you can also choose, if you really wanted to, to pay the mana first, then sacrifice Omnath. And if you do it in that order, then Omnath is a one-one when you sacrificed him, and he you get to draw one and gain one life. So I wow, I learned something today. I did not know you chose the order. You can I, choose the order of the costs. It's so like uh, infrequently relevant that I just kind of assume that it all happens at the same time somehow. But yeah, it makes sense that you'd have to like the game needs to know an order. Um, everything can't just magically happen at the same time. So yeah, uh, yeah, that works for me. I believe you. <laughs> well, sometimes things do magically happen at the same time. Like, well, this is the game of magic, but. Yeah. So, wow, I didn't know that you could choose most. How does that, do you have any idea how that works on Magic Online? No, I've never done it. I am really curious now. Uh, <laughs> Fabricate a scenario where we're casting Momentous Fall on an Omnath? It could happen. Yeah. It, does it have to do with, like, if I announce the spell and then tap my lands, or if my lands are tapped and then I announce? No, oh, you actually wow. activate mana abilities before you pay costs, so, as part of casting a spell. So, uh, you, you get to the same result. I just... To make it easy, I say that you already have the four mana in the mana pool. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Wow. So let's here is a, a, a one more one more rules question. How did 
dueling mimic vats work. So you have a mimic vat, I have a mimic vat, mm-hmm. and uh, a vampire nighthawk dies, and we both want it. Who gets Who it? Who gets it? Who gets it? All right. Well, whose turn is it? <laughs> I hate that that matters, Aww. but that's what I have to ask you. Oh, it's my turn. It's your turn. Uh, well, then it doesn't. It doesn't matter whose vampire nighthawk it was originally. Uh, as far as I know, it's mine too. I'm greedy. It's my <laughs> okay. my turn. My vampire vampiric nighthawk. My, yep. my, my. So uh, vampire nighthawk gets the graveyard. Um, it's your turn. So your mimic vet trigger goes on the stack first, followed by his trigger. So his trigger will resolve first. So he has the option of exiling it. So he he can choose to exile it, and then the if he had another creature exiled, it'll go back to the graveyard thanks to mimic vet. And then uh, your mimic vet trigger resolves. And uh, so you may exile that card, but you can't because it's already exiled. It's gone. So you don't exile it. And so uh, if you had one exiled or mimic that, it doesn't return because you never exiled the first one. And then, uh, yeah, you can't put a copy of uh, Vampire Nighthawk into play. You can still put a copy of whatever you had under it if there was anything, but you don't get the Nighthawk. So you want to kill it. If you want it and it's dueling mimic vets, you need it to die on your opponent's turn, which is kind of, not quite counterintuitive, but it's a little weird, but that's what has to happen. So and I hope what, that was right. <laughs> yeah, we're, what we're learning from this is Pro Tour players mm, seem to have a pretty good handle of the rules. In general, it's, yeah, it's that, like, trying to compete at the top level, and then also, like, I'm a game designer, so, like, I, I tend to, like, this magic is how I got into game design, and, like, got into games really deeply, and so it's the game I kind of understand the best at that level. And then, like, I worked on a, another TCG for a different game as kind of, like, the semi-rules manager of that game. And then I wrote, like, the comprehensive rules of a miniatures game, which, like, I could do the abilities and stuff because we had, like, abilities on miniatures that were, like, triggered and static and whatever. But have you tried to write, like, movement rules? Like, using, like, an actual, like, something that measures distance and then moving something and then collision rules. Like, it's a whole other level of things. So that was really difficult. But uh, in general, I feel like I get the uh, the stacking and the triggers down. Okay. So out of curiosity, because you study the rule, how much do do you – do you and I, I don't want to make it general for, like, you know, pro player, uh, pro players in general. But you personally, do you actually have you read the IPG, like to understand what the what the penalties and the infractions are? Do you guys do that kind of thing? The IPG, which one is that? That's not the comprehensive rules. No, all. that's the, the penalty drawing extra cards, all that, mm. all that action stuff. procedure guide. Yeah. I haven't actually read it myself. Which I, I judged an event once. It was like a, a memorial event for some uh, judge in the area. So a bunch of people showed up in Seattle. I just didn't feel like playing, but I was like, I want to go support him. So I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll just judge and volunteer my time. And I felt good at answering the rules questions. But then when it came down to like, okay, now that you know what was supposed to happen, uh, how do you resolve the, the game state? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> like I don't know who to give right, warnings that's to. <laughs> that's for everybody. Always just just like candy. Just hand them out. <laughs> Players love warning. You get a warning. Make, you get a warning. Make it rain. Just yeah. Just even the the game right next to the players that had the problem. Just lean over there and like you guys failure to maintain. You should have caught this. You should have seen that coming. The whole table gets failure to maintain games. Failure to maintain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I guess I guess with the with the IPG, um, I am assuming. So you said that you were interested in in becoming a judge or at least exploring the possibilities of doing so. 
I think from a rules standpoint, your explanations are, are really solid. I think that you would do well on the test. Sweet. What I, what I would say is probably, probably we, we would actually want to get you to maybe at the FNMs or something like that, uh, take a more active role. Maybe, maybe, you know, like, uh, announce that you're the rules guy, or if, if it's not already known, you said, like, you kind of listen, like maybe you've got a reputation for being the rules guy and kind of, for lack of a better word, shadow the, the guy behind the counter. But you just wear a shirt that says, I'm the rules guy. Does that count? I'm the rules guy. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I would definitely talk to, uh, uh, does you, does your store, do you know who your local L2s are? Uh, I could probably find out. I don't know what level Joe is. Um, he's level two. All right. Well then, yeah, I can talk to Joe. <laughs> is he, is he local to you? I, I've never been to. Yeah, he's in there. Seattle. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely, uh, Judge Joe Bono can help you. Uh, either he could be a guy to certify you or he could help put you in contact with people. Uh, I think this is a good segue into the um, the Judge Center, though, for those people who don't have a Judge Joe Bono around them and they have no idea where to go. Uh, are you familiar with the Judge Center at all? The Judge Center? That sounds like a fun place to hang out. It is. It's it's like the Y only doesn't smell like urine. All the time. <laughs> anyway, anyone with a DCI number can log into the Judge Center. It's at judge.wizards.com. And uh, from there, you can actually look up all the judges in your area, which is a pretty – oh, no. I was about to say pretty significant area, but for some reason I was thinking you were in California very briefly there. <laughs> uh, there's probably not quite as many judges in whatever state Seattle's in. Washington? Uh, yeah, it's in Washington. Nailed it. Got it. Nailed it. Nailed it. You're on the other side of the country. I don't know. Well, that's weird. I just clicked the – so I went to that website, and I was like, find judges in my area, and I clicked it, and it's like – we know you're in Washington. Here are all these people that you recognize from all those events. And it's like John Carter and James Lee and Joe Bono. And I'm like, well, I know these people. Uh, John Carter. CJ, I can't believe he's like, what state is Seattle in? Is that- I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. I'm from Georgia. Fine. Let's, let's hush now. Let's What's hush. Georgia's capital? He's he's from the same county as the big boss man from the WWF, Cobb, Co- Cobb County, Georgia. Yeah. What are you talking about right now? Wrestling. Yeah. Oh, People who I say, know, I don't they know, know. I don't know two things. One is wrestling. The other one's geography. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so also in the judge center – I was trying to think up a joke really hard. They were like, I tried really hard there to come up with a joke where wrestling and geography intersected, but I failed. I'm sorry. I was like, you would not want to watch the Ismith go down or something. Like, but that's a terrible wrestling name. There's got to be a good geography themed wrestling name. Well, they um, had they had uh, those are the natural disasters. They had a uh, the, the Rock Johnson, and- the Rock. That's all I have to say is the Rock. That's geography enough. Uh, I think you're confusing geography with geology. That's true. Geography cares about rocks. The plateau, I don't know. Fine. The longitude. Okay, you got me. What's happening? Looks like you need a longitude adjustment. This is going to be our longest judge cast, and I can clearly see we need just... Oh, oops. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's Brian's fault. It is my fault. I'll stop. We used to have short ones, and then we added Brian. That's what uh, she said. Knew <laughs> what was going to happen. I know, I know. So... Other things you can do on the Judge Center, though, is you can take uh, little practice tests. And in particular for you, John, I would recommend you take the Rules Advisor test. 
it doesn't really mean anything to pass it, but it just means, hey, I'm good at the rules because I can pass this rules advisor test. And anyone can take that, and it's an all-online test. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, an, ob- it's an objective third-party, we'll say, you know, verification that you know your stuff. It is not a requirement for level one. Let me put it that way. You do not have to be a rules advisor to be level one. But truthfully, every candidate that comes to me, I say, are you a rules advisor yet? You might also want to take an easy practice test before then, because uh, just to get a feel for the format of the uh, of the tests, because they can get a little awkward. You know, a lot of it is you need to know the answer. Like, it's more than just knowing the answer. You need to know the answer and know how or why you got to that answer. Uh, and taking some easy practice tests just helps you get a feel for that. All right. So. Yeah, it, and it gives you it gives you like the questions that you're going to see are in the same style that you're going to see on the L1 test where it's like here's a setup you know you know uh, oh and here's something all the the active player all of their names start with an A and the non-active player all their names start with the letter N so it's like Amadeus versus Nicodemus and versus Nicole once you realize that. Uh, it actually is kind of a neat little thing because, you, you know, when it just throws names out, you don't have to constantly like, OK, whose turn is it? I can't figure this out. It's just, yeah. oh, if their name starts with an A, it's their turn. I think I kind of remember when this Judge Center thing came out. Like years <laughs> ago, I remember this coming out and being like, oh, I can take tests and exams online. I think I probably took a, took a few, but this was a long time ago. With, with the rules advisor test, I forgot to mention, when you do pass it, you get added to the rules mailing list. Um, oh. Yeah. So, you so get, just lolcat pictures all the time? No, it's it's moderated. It's not like the judge ah. list. So <laughs> it's truly only rules questions. So, you know, sometimes the interesting things can pop up on there, just really random rules. Plus, they don't they don't spam as much as the, the full just, judge list does. I just imagine when all you judges get around and talk about complicated rules, it all involves... Like experimental crage, putting counters on planeswalkers and making planeswalkers into creatures, and then things happening. Like that's just what I imagine every rules discussion with judges is. Well, that's not so bad. You so like me. you start with like this list of like <laughs> so these ten things have happened. Now what happens with card X? <laughs> we <laughs> we try not to, but you know it gets there somewhere. Uh, we actually have a contest going on right now which we will announce the uh, winner of later, but it's basically exactly like that. Using no more than five cards, just give us the hardest judge question you can. All right. Yeah. Freak, well, I've got two hard GP. ones here with two cards each, oh. so... Let's, we'll get let's do it then. Yeah, let's do it. I think that's all I wanted to say about the judge center. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I should mention, though, also, like, you know, sometimes people complain about judges. I like judges. Magic judges are good. Um, and I gained a ton of respect for Magic Judges when I tried to play the WoW TCG. And I played the WoW TCG a little bit, and uh, there was a tournament where my opponent cast basically an Oblivion Ring, and I counterspelled it, um, so I countered it, and and it's trying to go to the graveyard. But So he cast it, and he's like, I'll remove that. And I'm like, well, actually, you don't even declare targets yet because I'm going to counter it. And he's like... Well, no, I have to say what I'm targeting with it. I'm like, well, no, it targets when it comes into play. <laughs> and uh, I think this was loosely relevant for if, like, like whether or not I would counter it or something. I don't know. And so a judge gets called over, and he's like, do I target this when I cast it? And the judge is like, yes. And I'm like, no, the ability is not on the stack yet. It has to come into play. And, like, they're like, well, no, you're a magic player. That's not how it works in WoW. And I was like, no, that's how it works in games. Like, you can't <laughs> write 
when it comes into play and have it trigger when you cast it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I got in a big argument and kind of lost my temper because they just didn't understand. And I got frustrated. So anyway, (laughs) uh, magic judging much better than WoW TCG judging, at least (laughs) how it was a couple years ago at the time. (laughs) So I'll take that. Yeah, great. I was like, it's so weird because you talk to like, I think a lot of magic players know, like at, at all levels, when an oblivion ring triggers. But, like, none of the WoW TCG players did. It was really weird. So, anyway, my two judge questions. Uh, This one's slightly old, but I still haven't heard a convincing answer. (laughs) Great. Okay. Is it plus one, plus one counters, minus one, minus one counters? uh, There are minus one, minus one counters involved, but that's it. Okay. Someone's got a Grim Poppet. (laughs) Love it. Love it. A what? A Grim Grim Poppet. Poppet enters the battle. Cost seven. Yep. It's the reverse Triskelion. Remove a minus one minus one counter from Grim Poppet. Put a minus one minus one counter on target creature. Okay. All right. And then we all con- we all control a bunch of random creatures like uh, grizzly bears or whatever. Air cubs. Okay. I cast Mirror Weave on Grim Poppet. Yep. So everything becomes a Grim Poppet. Okay. So uh, now I'm like, okay, remove a counter from my Grim Poppet. Put it on your Grim Poppet. And he's like, okay, remove it from my Grim Poppet. Put it on your Grim Poppet. Okay, I'll remove it and put it on your Grim Poppet. So we could do this forever. So. <laughs> How do you resolve, like, where these minus one, minus one counters end up? Like, how do you make the game progress forward beyond each player just, like, picking up counters and plopping them on their side? And they pick up all the counters and plop them on the other side. And they're like, there's a rule for this. There is is a rule for this. Um, Let me look and find it. I believe that it is, if there is a, we're going to call this a fragmented loop, where you're taking an action... I'm taking an action, and we're arriving back at the same game state, okay? Which is the counter is back on my Grim Poppet. Well, it's not technically the same game state, because he could put it on a different one of my Grim Poppets. Because I've got five Grim Poppets, he's got five Grim Poppets, thanks to Mirror Weave. Sure, well, you're eventually you're, you're eventually going to, I mean, you're just like, okay, I put it on this Grim Poppet. You're, you're basically putting it back on a Grim Poppet. I don't think you're really going to convince anybody that... You know, it's re- you know putting it on that one over there is really different than that one right there. Sure. Okay. When you are in a loop like that, the active player uh, and it's it's optional, which means you're not forced to do the, the game's not forcing you to do these actions. The active pl- the active player has to stop. Oh, so the active player stops activating all his grim poppets, and the non-active player can then activate the remaining counters on his Grim Poppets and move them somewhere. Uh, let me see if I, I can find this. Ali's looking. I'm glad you asked this because I have no idea. And I'm <laughs> glad Brian was like, oh, there's a rule for this. Cause, and, yeah, let's see. Uh, some can't matter where the okay, counters so end up. Sometimes a loop can be... Uh, Sometimes a loop can be fragmented, meaning that each player involved in the loop performs an independent action that results in the same game state being reached multiple times. If that happens, the active player, or if the active player is not involved in the loop, the first player in turn order who is involved must then make a different game action choice so that the loop does not continue. Uh, I mean, it's a little weird because... With the mirror weave, it matters what each of my Grim Poppets really is, because at the end of turn, they all become what they were. And so their sizes, relative to how many minus one, minus one counters ended up on them, matters. So, like, I'm moving a counter... Sure, but you're going to go through it, like, maybe two or three times, and then you're gonna it's going to settle on not that creature 
you know, you know, he's going to try and put it on this creature because he wants it to be dead. And you're going to try and put it on this creature because you want it to be whatever. Yeah. Okay, so it, it's it's going to pretty quickly devolve into, I want to put the minus one counters on that. You want to put the minus one, minus one counters on that. Great. Okay, no fragmented loop. Active player has to stop. So basically it's going to be like, active player, stop putting minus one, minus one counters on things. Wow, poor active player. All right, I'm going to propose a different way to settle this. Okay. The judge has a stopwatch. The judge has a stopwatch and says you have 30 seconds you can use one hand, and you we're using one hand and picking up one counter at a time. You have thirty seconds to move the counters around. Go. So each player using their hand, which is I would say mouths, but we don't want to use those on. You don't know where the table's been. So you use one hand each player, and you pick up a counter at a time, and you both frantically move counters around. And when the time is up, that's where the counters end. I like it, but it's not exactly supported by policy. I would I would think maybe one of those games with the claw where uh, you have to like drop down and pick up the counter with the claw and move it over to the card and if you can't pick up the counter then you just don't get to move it. I, I could like do that, that too. Yeah. And I have a feeling that that would kind of resolve itself because you know you can't pick it up so you don't get to move it the loop never starts. But if this happens at FNM tomorrow the judge will probably say active player you have to stop. I don't know. This is actually a pretty obscure rule, so I don't know. I don't know what the judge will say. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like you guys just please <laughs> just solve I'm, it. I'm gonna turn the lights off. Grim, I turn back on. Wherever the counters are, that's where they stay. Brian, what document is that rule in? Uh, that would be in the comprehensive. Wow, the comprehensive rules. Seven sixteen point three. All right. Ooh. All right. So my other question is: so this happened at a WoW TCG tournament. Um, I'll tell the story and then ask you what would really happen in Magic. Okay. Uh, so one player, um, basically either player could take infinite damage and still live. Like one player had a combo where all damage is prevented to him. The other player uh, had a weird set of circumstances where basically he had three lives. So like if a thousand damage was dealt to him, he would die and then be reborn with like a second life. Um, so that's the situation. Someone plays a card that says each player chooses a number. The player who chose the highest number takes that much damage, but gets this card like it's a creature. And I think they've printed that creature in Magic or something, but it's like lose life in Magic. Um, so because one of them obviously was playing a combo deck where he's like, well, I can name whatever number I want, and then I'm going to get this thing because I prevent all damage to me. The other player just happened to have three lives. So like he plays this card, and then it comes down to whoever names the highest number gets it. And either one of them can name as high a number as they want. So the guy telling the story was like, my opponent's such an idiot. He named 4,000. And we all laughed. Ha, ha, ha. How stupid. And we're like, yeah, what'd you name? And he's like, a million. <laughs> we're like, a million is the highest number you could come up with, really. So so we all laughed about how silly these two WoW TCG players are. But <laughs> it got me thinking, what if I'm playing Magic and this situation comes up where a card says each player names a number or each player chooses a number and the game state is such that we each want to choose the largest number. Is it just who knows the largest number? Is that the game we're playing? <laughs> no. Well, if in in a situation like this, well, actually, CJ, you want to take this? Well, uh, I don't know if I was going to go the same direction you were, but if a card like that existed, basically, when uh, two players have to make a choice simultaneously, truthfully, the active player has to make the choice first. But they're not secret. Cho- they're not secret choices. <sighs> 
It's hard to give a ruling on a card that no, doesn't there, exist. No, there are, there are cards. Okay. Um, like, here we go. Look up Goblin Game. Okay, uh, each, play, each player hides at least one item. Item? <laughs> oh, God. How many <laughs> items do I have? <laughs> then all players <laughs> reveal them simultaneously. Oh, yeah. Uh, each Mystic Ogre is basically the magic version of this card, if you look at that one. Okay. What is it? Oh, Goblin Menacing Game? Ogre. What's that? Uh, Menacing Ogre. It's uh, when Menacing Ogre enters the battlefield, each player secretly chooses a number. Those Then those numbers are revealed. Each player with the highest number loses that much life. If you were one of okay. those players, put two plus one plus one. So, so here's so here's the thing. You yeah, it's the, the active player is going to make a choice. He's going to you know write it down on a sheet of paper, whatever. The non-active player is going to make his choice, write it down on a sheet of paper. Okay, that stuff that stuff's hidden, and then you reveal it, and then just whoever's got the biggest. You can't just say like, oh well, I do infinity. Well, I do infinity plus one. Okay, how yeah. long do I have to write my number? Because I'm just going to uh, go. One zero 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 zero. Or can I use scientific notation? I um sure. Yeah, sure. So here's the thing. They will probably never print a card that could make this situation happen. Like even menacing ogre, you're not gonna Hold on. Let me find it. Uh there's like you can't lose the game and then there's like switch life total things and there's, there's some there's some card where you bid where you bid life. Oh, that's a thieves auction, isn't it? No, it's that like something that gives you, it's like something that gives you rat tokens or like equal to the equal to the life you bid. Yeah, illicit auction. Each player may bid life for control of target creature and yeah. some other words. And that's and that's a situation that that is a situation where if both players in essence have infinite life. So like it could matter like the person that names the highest number gets the menacing ogre. And then that could be what wins the game, because maybe one of them is maybe there's a biorhythm on the stack, and this is resolving on top of a biorhythm, and you not sure. you need to have the one creature so you live. Sure. So you have you have a certain so this is it, it basically falls in the same situation of if you cast duress on somebody, and you know you can write down the contents of their hand while you're looking at it, but you still have to do that pretty quickly. Ah. Right. Or if you're like if you're like hitting them up with one of those cards where you get to search through their library and you just sit down and you start writing out the whole contents of their deck, then, you know, it's just going to give you slow play for that. So if you're sitting there trying to write down a Google Plex or whatever, then which, which is a one with a Google zeros after it, you're going to you're going to the judge is going to be like, all right, that's enough. OK, so the judge gives each player some time. They each write down numbers, and then is there like a an official format I have to write my number in? <laughs> Can I use math? <laughs> so, so this kind of falls into the you know, uh, I hate I hate it when judges do this, but it's the whole call me when it happens kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this is what we call a corner case, yeah. and we usually just ignore them. But well, they're 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 fun to talk about, and they're yeah. fun to, they're fun to poke at, but. Ultimately, they're they're not super useful because you're gonna come up with a ruling that makes sense uh, if if and you're gonna you're gonna use you're gonna use the CR you're gonna use the, the philosophy laid out in the IPG and then you're never ever ever gonna run into anything like it ever again. Yeah. Well, if yeah, if you told me that it was up to the discretion of the judge at the time, if this ever did happen, I would I would accept that. Which it, it basically is. You're writing down a number as long as you you are doing it quickly. Okay, then write down whatever number you want. Now, the whole the whole quickly is ambiguous 
And I, I'd say it's intentionally so because the second you assign a number to it, then it's like, oh, you have 20 seconds to do this. Oh, well, I took 19.54 seconds to do it, so I'm fine. You know, it's just – Yeah, the only real rules on numbers are things like, uh, you know, in most cases they have to be positive when you choose one. They have to be whole numbers, but it doesn't really say anything about <laughs> – scientific notations because usually you don't choose a number over 20 no you don't normally pick a really 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 big number all right well i'm gonna next time i see god i don't know who john carter or something i'll i'll mention the biorhythms on the stack we each have can't lose the game if you have less than zero life and or less than one life i guess and menacing ogres on the stack i've met carter and i don't think he's gonna put up yeah. <laughs> Let me go back to that judge. But he's, he's level three, <laughs> so you know you can try. Uh, your community, who would entertain me? <laughs> uh, maybe James Lee would do it. I don't know James Lee, so good luck. Ah, all right, James Lee, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Sweet. Anyway, that those were all my questions. Were basically just giant time sink rabbit holes for us to go to. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would probably at one point say that the whole bidding, bidding life total. That might the 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 unbounded loop the the fragmented loop rule might actually hold. I would say so for sitting. Well, which then becomes the case of the active player just has to stop. Yep, sad for him. Poor active player. Oh yeah, that would make sense. The active player has to stop writing down his number. And the other guy. Or just in the case in the case of bidding, like if 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 I write down a number, you write down a number, and then we compare. Okay. That's yeah. one thing, but if it's if it's I say one, I bid one, you bid five, you bid ten, you know, I bid ten, that kind of thing. That back and forth is. So, am I allowed to bring a piece of paper to an event that already has a number on it and then use that number? No. <laughs> no. Is that outside information? That's outside information. On a piece of what do you mean? What do you mean? Why? I just have my playmat with one and then a bunch of zeros printed on it. Yeah. Well, okay, that might be okay. I have to, I have to secretly pick a number, and the guy's like, he's like sitting there furiously writing, and I just fold my playmat in half, <laughs> slide oh, it forward. Yeah. <sighs> this is oh man, this is silly. Okay, we can. This is fun. This is this is we do have these. This is the type of conversation that we will have until yeah. a, another high level judge comes over and fusses at us for says we shouldn't all be standing in a group. This is what you guys are talking about when someone's yelling judge, and you guys are all off. Yeah. No. Um, maybe. Uh, it's happened. All right. I had a couple questions just for you two to get to know okay. you guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you're not judging, what format would you like to be playing? What's your favorite format? Limited. What kind of limited? Whatever the newest set is. Really limited. Oh, limited. draft. Draft. Drafting the newest set is fair. <laughs> yeah. All right. Both of you? Uh, no. My Mine is actually I am a, a fan of chaos, multiplayer, free-for-all. So you're like a true judge. I, well, I, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it that way. I just like, I like seeing crazy different cards interact. I actually, and I, I, I've said this before, I get twitchy if I have to play the same deck more than twice. I am, I am the guy that at the pre-release who will side his his sideboard plan is I will side out my colors and side into a completely different deck just because I get bored. Sweet. Well, if you're curious, I choose cube backdraft. If I can play any format of choice, that's the format I choose, and I never get to play it. Backdraft. 
It's where you uh, you draft the worst deck possible. Oh, okay. All and right. then you switch it with you switch the pool with your opponent, and then you you try to win with their pool. And usually you do it with teams. It works better that way because you don't have to switch a deck every round. What but, is uh, that? What is that enchantment? Shared fate. There we go. Do you have shared, fate? shared fate. Check it out. Look at look it up. This is a great. I'm card. familiar with shared fate. God, I think Zane played it once in a tournament. It's where you basically switch hands. Well, it's not the rest of the game. Library, libraries. libraries. Yeah, you switch libraries. You switch libraries for the rest of the game. It's weird. So much fun. So you play a deck with absolutely no win conditions, just a little bit of stall. Yeah, and, a shared fate then, deck would be really good in this format. Just don't play shared fate. <laughs> so well, the reason cube backdraft works especially well is because the cube is full of good cards. Yeah, that'd be So hard. eventually you're going to have to take a good card. And so, like, your pool is going to have ways to win. It's just making sure that the pool is as bad as possible, um, which I find really fun because every pick is super important. Like, it's really cool that it happens that way. But, like, the first three picks, you can find really bad blank cards, but then it starts to get really intense. And, like, figuring out what's going to table in your pack is, like, really important. And it's just, oh, it's so awesome that tabling, like, matters so much. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I love that. Uh, last pick, Jace, the Mind Sculptor or whatever. Yeah, oh. Yeah, he would be a last pick because he yeah. can win the game on his own. All right, and then my my last question was, uh, I p- often put my magic experience on my resume. Do you put your judging stuff on your resume when you're applying for jobs? I, I like I like a show where the guest interviews us. We need to have this happen more. You <laughs> need <laughs> <laughs> your ego stroked more, CJ. Yeah, I need. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, uh, I haven't actually had to uh, apply for a job since I started judging. I, however. I, however, probably will, uh, just because it shows like community involvement, uh, you know, outside interest, that kind of thing. And you never really know what strikes a person's interest up. Like I worked at a baseball card store as a manager for a few years. I put that on on my resume, and like the guy who was interviewing me, like leans in and he's like. I got a 1976 Dennis Eckersley rookie card. How much is that worth? And I was, you know, and I was like, oh well, um, 1976 was a set that was, you know, notoriously off center. So it really depends on the center. And he just like was blown away. <laughs> and in reality, it was just the previous week I'd ended up having to buy one off a guy and had to research, you know, when Eckersley was hot, and I had to buy one off a guy and do a little bit of research on the card. So I mean, he just. Like the one thing that I'd looked up, he happened to ask me about, and I think I got the job simply because <laughs> I knew that. That's awesome. So just anything that you can give that you can give that an interviewer might talk to you about, and like show that you're you're an actual human being instead of you know uh, a machine that just wants to get a paycheck. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm in the same position. I have not applied for a job since I've uh, been a judge, but. I don't think I'd put it on my resume, but I might bring it up in the interview. Um, in particular, recently I, I went and talked about with my boss about moving to like a more kind of a, a position in charge of other people, and I, I even brought it up then because you know as a judge, you, particularly as a head judge, you, you deal with a lot of uh, you know just dealing with people, judges and players, and you deal with uh, organizing the people and you know making sure everyone shows up and knows what to do and. All that, so you you get some good experience in that kind of stuff. Sweet, yeah. I, I haven't had to apply for a job since I started doing the podcast, so it's a kind of similar question. Do you put your podcast on? And and I think I'm going to like if it comes to that ever, I'm going to put uh, limited resources on my resume. 
along with all my other I, magic I stuff. I would. I would. That's because you guys you guys put out a, a a solid product that is not controversial. Like yeah. if, if you guys were some of the other podcasts out there, I'd probably say maybe not the bestest of ideas. Right. Yeah. Like some random podcast where they let people say that's what she said. Like, yeah. I, I know. know. I would I not put Judge Cast out there. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm out of questions. So there you go. Well, I want to mention one other thing that you actually brought up in your uh, last podcast is basically you have the Geist of St. Traft and you um, attack. You have the angel token yeah. sitting there and you uh, forget to exile it. You totally forget. And then more than a turn cycle has passed. What do we do at a competitive level event? Yeah, do I get to keep the angel? Yeah. Do you get to keep the angel? Brian, do you want to? I thought this was a question for him. Oh, no, but I'll he, he, he asked uh, it. Oh, he asked it. Yeah, he asked it. So okay. Uh, so if the was it missing the Geist of Saint Traft exile trigger? Yeah, because yeah. Joe had just gone into a big thing explaining lapse triggers and like how all that works, and I learned a lot there too. Yeah. So it's there. And I was very curious because Geist of Saint Traft always comes up because people forget to put the angel into play in the first place. Yeah. But if you forget to take it out, does the same thing apply? If it's been if it's been over a turn cycle. Uh, you're gonna be leaving that. Uh, you're gonna be leaving that token in play. Yep. Wow. And so and and however, it's mitigated by the fact that your opponent. Okay. So first, first off, it's mitigated because you're an honest guy and you're remembering your triggers. Okay. It's second, secondly mitigated by your opponent really doesn't want you to have that four four. Yeah, he doesn't. Want, or, uh, he doesn't want you to have the, the that token, so he should also be pointing it out. Okay, yeah. if both of you, if both of you have have missed it, then and it's been more than a turn cycle. Well, tough. Yeah, I mean, judges always say this: we're going to have to do some investigation, blah 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 blah. But I always assume that people are not cheating, and uh, if you guys just legitimately forget it, then that token's going to hang out there. And but if you have a hunch that I'm doing this on purpose, like if two rounds in a row, I'm just like, like if every time I attack with guys, I put the angel down and then I don't pick it up until my opponent says something, yeah. you guys will like smell something fishy and I'll get in trouble. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. And by get in trouble, you mean disqualification. Disqualification. Yeah. Um, it's it's not like just like harsh words in a glare. Yeah. Um, but so, so this is, this is the, the importance of it. And I may look at it and it's like, oh, well, can't you just get rid of it? We're, we're looking for in, in the IPG, you know, magic is a game of infinite variations, uh, and we need to come up with just a set number of rules or a set, uh, a set of rules that can be learned and followed. Like if you, if you come up with a way of handling every card, every situation, the document would just be tens of thousands of pages long and no one could learn it. So yep. we, we come up with most, most, uh, most of the infractions are set up in a way that can be communicated clearly, can be straightforward and simple to learn, and the fix satisfactorily, satisfactorily addresses the case in 99.99% of the cases. And like I said, this was mitigated by the fact that your opponent has had a whole turn. You and your opponent both have had a whole turn to notice that this thing's still out there. Yeah, what scares me is that some players will just... Like, they'll notice their opponent forgot to pick up the angel, but they just assume, like, well, yeah, the angel's gone, and it's just going to come back next turn. So I think some people might just be like, oh, I don't have to say anything. 
you know, it's just going to come back next turn and we'll use the same token or whatever. And so, like, luckily, I don't think a lot of their opponents will then try well, to get two angels. So, like, no, I think the player base generally works. Like, no one plays Thatcher Revolt. And you can't get two angels. You can, here's, here's why. Because it's a turn cycle is from till the end of... Of the of of uh, of where it would have would have happened, okay, at the end of the stepper phase. So it's happening now at the um, it's getting exiled uh, at the end of combat. So you have until the end of that player's next end of combat to notice. So if he goes to lay down another angel token and now has two. You're probably going to notice that, and you you are still in your window of of fixing that. Oh, so a, a turn cycle is not my end of turn to your end of turn. It's my end of turn to my next end of turn. Well, yeah, uh, actually, it's a little it's a little bit longer than that. It's let's look at upkeep, for example. Okay, so I have a I have something that triggers on the beginning of my upkeep, and I forget on my turn. I have essentially. Until I draw my card on my next turn, which signals that I'm I have now left my upkeep. Oh, so, so that is so, so a turn so, cycle is is to the exact same point in the turn in the in the turn plus till the end of that stepper phase. Ah, uh, so it's very unlikely that someone could orchestrate a situation to get two angels because they would have to attack, get an angel, and then next turn. Not attack to get another angel, and not attack with that angel, and then the following turn attack with the angel. Like it, w- it would have to be a very like orchestrated play to get that angel to stay in. So yeah, it would, it would, yeah. I mean, they'd have to attack to get the angel, leave the angel, then not attack so that you don't notice that there's now that that angel still out there. Not attack with the angel. And not attack with the Geist. Yeah, it's it's all right. I feel a lot better about the situation then. I was a little worried that someone could game it, but I think it's very hard to game I, at this I point. Don't think they'll get away with it. Oh yeah, awesome. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, one last thing I want to bring up, and this isn't relevant to you, John, but I just want to bring it up for those out there who have absolutely nobody to turn to, and they have no L twos, and they have no one at all. Is we there's a website where you can look up your uh, regional coordinator, and the regional coordinator is kind of like. Uh, the guy for your region, usually a level three judge, sometimes a level two judge, uh, but they're they're in charge of, shockingly enough, coordinating the region. Uh, we'll post a, a link to that. <laughs> we'll post a link to that in the uh, show notes. But if if you're just someone out there and you just really want to become a judge and you have no idea who to contact, your regional coordinator is the guy to go to. Uh, in case you're curious, John, yours is Aaron Hamer. Uh, have you met him by any chance? Uh, Aaron. Aaron Hamer. Aaron Hamer. Not off the top of my head, but now yeah. I'm looking for him in my community page of the uh, Wizards Play Network. Well, your community thing. shows everyone in your state. Oh, wow. But he's your regional coordinator, which is more than your just your state alone. Oh. Well, maybe I've seen him around, but... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Maybe not. <laughs> hey, so we had a contest then, huh? We sure did. We did have a contest. And you know what? Contests have winners... And contests have losers. And most of you are losers. I wasn't going to go that far. But we have one winner. And our winner is, congratulations to Spencer Argena. Ooh, Spencer. So, so funny, funny question about my, uh, uh, about the name Spencer. Okay. My dog's name is Spencer. 
Okay. I have uh, a few houses down. There is a uh, a boy, or at the time he had just gotten into high school, and he was. This is not going where you think it's going. Uh, he was going door to door selling uh, um, something for his uh, for his baseball team. His name's also Spencer. He comes to the door, and I open the door, and my dog goes running out the front door. And I yell, Spencer, get in here. And the guy just like his face goes kind of white and he just steps inside the house like all calm. And I just kind of look at him like, what? Oh, no, not you. Not you. <laughs> Did you know his name up front? Uh, vaguely. Yeah. All right. Well, here's the question. My opponent controls two chains of Mephistopheles. Done. So, yeah. At this point, I'm already like, well. Winner. I think we found a winner. I control one island for no reason at all, I don't think. Well, sure, because he's casting a spell with it. Oh, all right, whatever. And I have a Tamiyo, the Moon Sage emblem, not the Planeswalker, and has four cards in hand, one of which is Emrakul, Theon's Torn, and one of which is Brainstorm. During my upkeep, I cast a Brainstorm from my hand, leaving me with three cards in, hand, in my hand and Brainstorm on the stack. And the question is, what is the greatest number of cards I can have in my hand at the end of the turn, before the cleanup step, if I cast no more spells this turn? He mentions the cleanup step, but the Moon Sage emblem gives you an unlimited hand size, so it doesn't really matter. I like I like this because in a, in a way, um, it's 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 a very casual type setup. A lot of times when I'm playing cards, um, uh, casual games, I get these weird situations where players are just like. Judge, you come over because it's casual, and they just kind of look and they just kind of hold their, you know, gesture at the board. And what happens now? Yeah. <laughs> and so this this kind of reminds me of that scenario. Obviously, you can't ask that type of question in a tournament. You know, your right Tamio Chains of Mephistopheles Legacy Star City Open Top Eight deck. Yeah. So uh, one reason this guy is the winner is a this question. It's pretty ridiculous. Like you have to sit down with pen and paper to figure it out. But also, uh, he answered it and he got the answer right. And his answer is a very long explanation. So, what do you want to do, Brian? Should we actually go through the answer? Uh, sure. Let's let's actually first read what Chains of Mephistopheles does. Yes, good call. So, so Chains of Mephistopheles is an enchantment, a rare enchantment from Legends. It's a uh, one in a black. This is one of those ones where the Oracle text does not. Uh, 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 match the uh, the or the oracle text does not match the card text. No. So, if a player would draw a card, except for the first one he or she draws in his or her draw step each turn, that player discards a card instead. If the player discards a card that way, he or she draws a card. If that player doesn't discard a card this way, he or she puts the top card of his or her library onto his graveyard. That's a lot of mouthful. But it basically says, excluding the first card that you draw during your draw step, excluding that card, if you are going to draw a card, you have to discard first. If you can't discard first, mill a card, and then uh, uh, you don't get to draw. Yeah. Okay? So it's – it's if you're going to draw, uh, other than your, your normal draw for turn, if you're going to draw, discard before you draw. If you can't discard, you mill a card, no draw. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Let's just let's just read the original oracle text for or the original card text for for, for funsies. Okay, if that's one okay. for you. Oh, it is. And the, everyone should go look at the art for this card because it's like this crazy trihorned goat thing 
I guess that would be Mephistopheles. I guess. And, his and he's chains. got chains. It's quite literal. Yep. Uh, every time a player draws a card, that player must first discard a card from his or her hand. If there are no cards in that player's hand, take the top card from their library and place it in the graveyard instead of drawing. This enchantment does not apply to the first card drawn by a player during the draw phase, which actually is uh, kind of the way I tried to describe it. Honestly, like... I, after I read that, I was like, oh, I think I get it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know it's, what I mean? It's just when you try and fit it into the context of the modern rules, you're just yeah. sort of like, wow, this is kind of awkward ruling. But yeah, uh, Matt Tabak, get on that. Fix that. <laughs> fix, <laughs> fix the rules so the Chains of Mephistopheles works as fine as printed. Yeah, so so you have two of those. So every so time... good night. We're done. <laughs> so every time you would draw a card, it gets replaced twice because every time you draw a card, you're going to discard and then draw a card. But that second draw gets replaced again, so you would discard again and then draw. So in the end, with two chains of Mephistopheles, assuming you have you know infinite cards in hand, every draw is replaced by uh, discard two, draw one. Now when we get down to having except no cards for the in first hand, card that you draw each turn yes, during draw step, except for that. Also, we might want to mention that the Tom Tomio Tomio the Moon Sahe. What? <laughs> Yeah, that's how you pronounce it on Kamigawa. Her emblem reads, if you have no maximum hand size. And then also, whenever a card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, you may return it to your hand. So. We got a trigger. Yeah, it's trigger. Triggers! So, to go step by step through this, but quickly. So, when Brainstorm starts to resolve, you have three cards in hand. So, you draw one from Brainstorm, which means you actually discard two and draw one, leaving you with two cards in hand. Yep. And two Tomio triggers. And two two Tomio triggers. Draw one from Brainstorm again, because all draws are treated as individual actions. Uh, so that's replaced again with discard two, draw one. So you have one card left in hand at this point. And then you have one more draw from Brainstorm, which is replaced with discard one, and then you mill one. And because you milled one, you don't get to draw a card. Yep. So, so now you have zero cards left in hand. So... Yes, and we've got all these these Tomio triggers, like every time you're discarding, Tomio's triggering. And then one of those cards that you discarded is the big bad uh, Emrakul, yep. which I guess we're not playing EDH. Yeah, I guess not. Which is where I would assume this would happen, other than we've got two chains and one Emrakul. Yeah, and Tomio triggers whenever a card goes to your river from anywhere. So even that mill one triggered it. So basically you got one trigger from the Brainstorm. And then six more triggers from all of the uh, draws from the brainstorm, and, and, uh, and discards, discards, uh, discards from the chains, and the mill from the chains, and yeah. all that good stuff. Yep. So, yeah. or as Spencer specified, a buttload. <laughs> yes, a buttload of triggers. A buttload of emblem triggers. So when brainstorm is finally done resolving, we have seven Tamio triggers and one Emrakul trigger. We'll want to stack that so that the Emrakul trigger resolves last, because we don't want to shuffle all these cards in our graveyard back into the library. Otherwise, we can't put them back in our hand. We want them. We want them. So past that, we put the seven cards back in hand, and that includes the Emrakul, it includes the Brainstorm, all the cards. Then we uh, shuffle our library because we have to resolve the Emrakul trigger, but it doesn't really do anything. We draw for the turn, which is not replaced. Mephistopheles is... Not entirely uh, a harsh mistress. Uh, lets you get your one. Lets you get your one card per turn without uh, without doing anything. Uh, so you have how many cards in? How many cards now are in your hand? So we got 
Seven plus one. Yep. That's eight. Eight cards. Eight cards. Easy math. Eight, eight plus one. Woo! Yay! So, 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 Spencer, uh, congratulations. You win for, for making us, uh, uh, go through the mental. Actually, you win for making us read Chains of Mephistopheles. Yeah. But, but more so for asking a question that, that kind of got us to scratch our heads and walk through the, walk through the steps. Yep. Spencer will now have one card in hand. A. Oh. Judge Foil Vendillion Click. Wasn't Spencer from Spain? Um, oh, he, doesn't, he doesn't say. I think he says in the rules question he sent us. No? Okay. No? Must have been someone else. He's from, well, where's Mephistopheles from? Hell? Hell, he's from hell. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. Him and Mephistopheles are like BFFs. That's why he's got so many of them on the battlefield. <laughs> so, so is it is it chains? So he's got two... Of the card chain of Mephistopheles, is it two chains of Mephistopheles or two chain of Mephistopheleses? It's two cha- chains. He has two chains. Two chains? It's Mephistopheles chain. He, he has, has two of them. What if you have out, for whatever reason, two Tamiyo the Moon Sages? I know you can't normally, but we're just doing this for grammar purposes. Do you have two Tamios or two Tamiyo the Moon Sages? Well, if I had... Now, there's a Judge Breaker. Two... <laughs> I mean, I would have two Brian Prillimans, not two Brian Prillimans, though, whatever you do when you're not judging. You All can't right. afford me, <laughs> let alone two. All right. <laughs> well, we had a lot of other entries. Uh, some of them were good. Some of them not so good. We uh, can't read all of them, but we did want to read one more. Yeah, this podcast is already long enough. So we went from the math of seven plus one. Yes. Nice, easy, simple math. Do you want to take this one? Sure, I'll read this one. Okay, I'll take a break. Okay, Uh, from Brendan Hurst. I'm playing in a legacy event with a homebrew enchanter's deck and playing against elves combo, an elves combo player. I end up getting an opalescenced doubling season enchanted with followed footsteps. Every upkeep, this puts in a recursive amount of doubling seasons in play to the tune of... Two to the power of number of last turn plus the number of last turn. He's even got parentheses in the equation. Being in play or on the battlefield. Uh, the first few examples I have are 1, 3, 11, 2069. After several upkeeps of this, Ada Paradox Haze, I have a huge non-arbitrary number of five fives. My elves opponent goes to gain an arbitrary amount of life. But to figure out how much is enough, he asks how many creatures I have in play. Can he set his life total to some large number uh, multiple of that complicated equation, or do I have to calculate the actual number sans math symbols for him? What if that number equation is large enough that I will take a significant amount of round time to have to do the math out? Of note that this is large, but non-arbitrary number uh, is probably too large for the average graphing calculator. All right. So this one didn't win, first off, because it's clearly math. And we said... For Chains of Mephistopheles is good. Yes. Math is bad. Math it's sort is of like, bad. Here's Precursor Gollum, blah blah Yep. Double kicked right of replication shenanery. Yep. Okay. So the first interesting thing about this is uh, the question that your opponent asks, how many creatures do you have? Okay, and as we talked about two podcasts ago, that's derived information. You don't have to help him count. Yep. You do, however, have to represent those 
tokens in some form or fashion. So if you just put your phone on the table and you're like, well, this represents all my guys. Okay. Well, sure. You gotta, you gotta be able to represent your, your one, three, 11, uh, 2069 dudes. Are you doing that? Probably not. And so this is, this is, again, I hate to say, you know, this is a, this is a call me when it happens type of question. But if you're already, if you're already in a situation where you're, where you're sloppy and using arbitrarily large, large numbers, where you're just like, ah, it's, it's a lot. First off, I would wonder why if you've got, if you've got, uh, uh, 2000, uh, four fours or five fives or whatever, why haven't you killed him yet? <laughs> okay. I can't believe we're actually discussing this one. Well, it's for fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say like, Really, when you start getting up into the question, the question of, well, it's a million creatures versus a billion creatures versus a trillion creatures, does it really matter? Do exact numbers really matter at that point? No. And no, they don't. So can he just set his life total to some large multiple of that complicated equation? I would say, I would say no, but you could say I'm setting it to four times larger than he got out on the field. Yeah. And then you guys have to determine how many creatures are on the field. And again, this is way crazy corner case land. I'd probably just ballpark it. I mean, you got a billion. Great. What do you got? Four billion life. Great. That's where we are right now. Let's go on. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not going to happen. So I, I can't say I put a lot of uh, energy thinking about it. Well, I mean, Really, how often is it going to come down to it's like I've got four billion five fives versus four billion three hundred thousand nine hundred and eighty two? Yeah. Oh, oh, if I'd only had <laughs> eighty three, then I would have gotten him. Ah. Uh, oh. We did get a lot of other emails for this contest that started out as, "Hey, I have a question. This isn't for the contest, though." Yeah. Some of those actually weren't bad if only we had a mailbag if only we had a mailbag mail time (laughs) okay well i was going to start saying things again though to make a nice segue into that but now you just nope 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 he's saying mail time we have he is officially uh moved into the next uh step of the uh of the show the Here's show. the mail that never fails. It makes me want to wake my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mail. Wow. I think that needs to be the permanent introduction. That might be. Our first letter comes from Mark Samara. Doesn't say where he's from, so I don't have to do a silly voice. Actually, he's from Spain. Barcelona, Spain. What? What? And his whole email, let's just boil it down to, basically, I'm casting Brainstorm on my opponent's term, and I have a Miracle card. So we're all pretty good with that. You know, you, if the first card you draw is a miracle, you can reveal it. You have to keep it revealed, all that. What he wants to know is, is it possible for him in any way to go ahead and reveal the card and then kind of hide it back because he doesn't want to uh, give extra information? And he doesn't want his opponent to know, did he shuffle the miracle card in or not? Is there any way to do that and still cast it for the miracle? My guess would be no. No. He just leaves it revealed in his hand. Uh, though if he's putting it on top of his library with another card, he doesn't obviously he doesn't leave it revealed on top of his library, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to reveal if it's number one or number two. So at that point, 
his opponent knows it's going on top of his library because it suddenly becomes unrevealed, but doesn't know which one it is. Yeah, there's there's no real way to trick this. You have to keep the card revealed uh, while it's in your hand. Yeah, or I, I would say well, though, if you're going to put it on top of your deck, then don't reveal it. Yeah, yeah, it's, just don't reveal it. It's if uh, yeah, if the the card uh, if you choose to reveal a card using the miracle ability, uh, you play with the card revealed until the card leaves your hand, the miracle ability resolves, or that ability otherwise leaves the stack. And the miracle ability resolving is either you cast it or you don't. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's yeah there it's no no Heidi Trixie's stuff. Our next mail is uh, from Spencer Argina Argina Argina. Good enough. Uh, he says during an Avacyn Restored game, he has an opponent uh, flashback to Korean Ancient Grudge. An Ancient Grudge can only dis- it just destroys target artifact. And he destroyed two intangible virtues, which are both enchantments. Uh, after about four turns, they finally realized that, hey, that ancient grudge shouldn't have been able to target those virtues at all. Uh, he says this was at a game day, so that's regular REL, but we can talk about what to do in both regular REL and competitive REL because uh, it's the same. Brian, you want to take it? Brian, are you too busy quoting things? I am on mute talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when I, I answered this question, the first thing I said was, "I was we're going to assume that there's no intention to cheat, because uh, if you do, the answer kind of becomes uninteresting." So uh, at a at a competitive level event, it's going to be a game rules violation, uh, which only comes with a warning. So his question was, you know, was it a match loss, something something else, something less, something more? Uh, so this is going to come with a warning. So while the impact of the violation uh, may actually be pretty significant in this instance, uh, we we still both players, and this is kind of similar to the the guys to St. Traff situation. Both players had an opportunity to notice the mistake, and both players share responsibility for the game state being played correctly. Uh, given that it's four turns uh, and it's a GRV at competitive, our options are either rewind or not. And since it's been four turns, that is way too much to consider rewinding unless something really weird's been going on. Like both players have like some sort of weird state where they're not drawing cards, they're not attacking, the game state's not changing. You know, it's pretty much unlikely stuff. Um, however, uh, you know, game day isn't competitive; uh, it's regular. So, I mean, we're still not going to rewind it. The game, we're not going to, you know, change anything. I mean, what's happened has happened, but there's not going to be a warning because we don't give those type of uh, penalties at regular. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then the most important part is to remind the players that if they have any questions about the way the card works, call for a judge. They'll give you the oracle text. I will say that this situation does seem a little weird. You know, guy doesn't know what his own cards do. Yeah. Knew enough to go get a Korean ancient ju- uh, ancient grudge. So ancient I don't. Judge. Yeah, ancient, ancient judge. judge. That's, that's me. That's oh, that's me. Um. So I would I would definitely give this what what I just I call the sniff test. See if something smells bad about his story. But if he passes, then that's how we would go about it. All right. So one last uh, email, and I, I like this question. I'm going to summarize the actual question, but it's effectively, uh, I have two spell skites. I'm not going to read spell skite. Everyone knows what spell skite does. The summary of what spell skite does is not what you want it to do. Spell, 
The summary of Spell's Guide is call a judge. <laughs> Uh, he also has Wild Defiance in play, which says whenever a creature you control becomes a target of an incident or sorcery spell, that creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. And his question is, if he mutagenic growths or giant growths, one of the spell skites, you know, so Wild Defiance triggers, can he keep switching the target between them and they each just keep getting plus three, plus three from Wild Defiance? I say yes. Yeah. And he's still got to pay mana and he's still got to or life. Yep. But as much of that as he has, yeah, bounce back and forth. Yeah, you can bounce back and forth. Yeah, and it'll trigger Wild Defiance every time. That's because each time the trigger changes, uh, you have a creature that is becoming the target of an instant or sorcery spell. So Wild Defiance keeps triggering. I hate Spellskite. <laughs> Spellskite was the worst when it came out. I ever ever since I got called over to deal with a stack that was like 15 things deep with like nine Spellskite activations on it, with blighted agent and uh, was it was it live wire lash? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, no, <laughs> no. And then and then and then what was what was funny was I had I had like players uh, coming and going and telling like other judges that I I you know it's like player goes over and tells another judge and the judge comes up and says we've got a player who says that you you've missed you know you know you've missed this interaction. I was like. No, that's just way down on the list of things because I've got all this other stuff on top of it. And I give him the summary of the stack, and he's like, he just pats me on the shoulder and is like, good luck with that. And then runs <laughs> off. That was Michael Fortino, everybody. Oh, Michael Fortino. <laughs> all right, well, I'm ready to wrap this bad boy up. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, it's no yes. set review show. I guess we could just start uh, going thanks. over every card. If we want, well, we did a crack a pack, so we, we did were do a you know halfway there. I think Wild Defiance. I mean, it's a build around me card. Uh, I mean, you got to have support cards. I'm not thinking this is going to go very highly in pick order. You could probably yeah. wheel it. I'm going to give it a D plus. I mean, if you had a lot of instants and sorceries, but it's just not. I mean, it doesn't do anything by itself. That's great with spell sky. You guys have me fooled. <laughs> uh. Pat doesn't pass the vanilla test. I mean, you're paying three mana for a, for not even a creature. It does not pass the vanilla test, which it keys me into that you've been listening. It doesn't it doesn't attack or block anything? So I don't know, though a three mana do man do nothing enchantment. That's pretty lousy, isn't it? It's too cheap. If this <laughs> thing cost six and gave like plus six plus six, then sign me up. Oh, definitely. Hey, but if you listeners out there want to contact us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast, and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. Uh, John, you want to give out your info? Yep. If people want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at John Laux. That's J-O-N-L-O-U-C-K-S. Uh, you can send me an email to the limited resources email, which is uh, limitedresourcespodcast at gmail.com. And all the information, limited resources, you can find on lrcast.com. It's a pretty simple website, but it's got links to our Facebook and our email and our Twitter and all that stuff. So lrcast.com is your one-stop shop for everything limited resources. Fantastic. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was a little fun. bit of a long one, but it's been fun. I'm really glad you agreed to come on. Thanks uh, for inviting me. I, I think the takeaway for you, by the way, is to get in contact with Joe Bono. He can help you out, uh, judge a couple events, take that rules advisor test. I did forget to mention, when you pass rules advisor, you can actually take a level one practice exam. Ooh. Um, 
So, and, and I'm, I have a pretty good confidence that you could pass the rules advisor on your first try. So I'll do it. It's uh, on my list. Yeah. So that's where you go from here. But uh, beyond that, thank you so much for being on. Uh, from all of us here at JudgeCast, my name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. My name is Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. And that's your French dip with some odd judge sauce. <laughs> Mic check. Chickity check. Now I feel like instead of just educating John, we're using him. I'm going to edit this part too. But um, Really, where we talk bad about listeners? Yeah, the part where we talk really? bad about listeners. You're going to edit that part out? Yeah, I am. If we go over two hours, it's not my fault this We're time. We're already over two hours. That's what she said.